0: Don't alright. I do my research. Welcome to the Mice Movie Podcast. We watched a movie. Is that from the movie. Yes.
1: I gotta be honest, I really love this soundtrack.
0: <laughs> the Way of the Gun. It's not
1: the theme of the movie, but I do love the theme a lot. Yes. The Way... Anyway, sorry to interrupt.
0: The Way of the Gun. was
1: a favorite of mine.
0: It was a film.
1: You always say that when you don't like it. It's hilarious.
0: No, it's not that I didn't like it. I th- I I think I just think I like it a lot less than you do.
1: Oh, I certainly consider it a movie that fits my taste more than anyone else's. Um, the reason I picked it is because I do. I, it, there's a couple reasons. A, it it enters you into a world of film that's both. And I I hate to keep bringing him up like I worship him or something, but it's certainly a film that was that wouldn't have existed if Tarantino hadn't come around. But I, but that interview that um, that you that I sent you and that you read that first part of, I'm gonna read a little bit of that quote. Is a lot of why I picked it because there are a lot of films out there with characters that. They aren't necessarily good, they aren't forgivable, they aren't redeemable, but they still are really interesting movies and interesting performances and things that kind of open up a world of film that really doesn't have rules to it that I really think you need to kind of dip your toe in a little bit. Um, And then the other reason is Christopher McGuire is someone who's becoming more and more prominent in uh, Hollywood, and and his career is really rising as a filmmaker. And this being his first film... um, it's interesting to see where he's come from and uh, how he's rising and uh, where he's going. But I do – this is certainly a kind of film that that when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I haven't seen anything like this ever, and I loved it for that fact. But I, I, I do have a question of why – there's Whoa. a way you say film that really kind of is weird to me. You're like, this is a film. Like, the way you say it seems odd. Like, what? what when you what? say it like that, what does the word what? mean in that context?
0: What? 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 are you talking about?
1: You're like this was a film. It, the way you say film, there's like a, 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 I wouldn't say a tone, but there's like, I feel like when you say film, you're really saying a million things. I'm not. I. That's saying, not I my I intention mean, at all. I feel like when you're saying film, you're saying a bunch of things. That's
0: not what I'm saying at all. There's nothing behind that. I I'm, just said it. I just say it. No, the, I'm, It's I'm, just a I'm word fine. that I say. <laughs> that's
1: cool. That's alright. <laughs> I I just okay. I'm just saying the way you the way you said it. It seemed like you were saying much more with it. If you're not, then that's fine. I read too much into it. You're reading too much into it. It just have been being like uh, I don't know what to think about this.
0: Yeah. Um, Um. That like okay. I'm gonna be perfectly honest. Oh my god, that opening scene.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: I couldn't write my notes past it. Like, I just gave up after seeing that. I was like, "It's synopsis night tonight."
1: Um, I before we go into it, I want to read that quote. Okay, that you said, go ahead. Like, if we're gonna go into that opening right away. Then I feel like we should get into it. But like, there's a there's an interview that McQuarrie gave like right when the movie came out. And it's really interesting. It's really lengthy. It goes into a lot about what he was feeling when he wrote it and where he thought his career would go but the very first quote of the movie and the question is what why did you want to make this movie and he goes the the film came from frustration with the system of rules that exists about what characters can and cannot do in a film we are determined to tell a story about two reprehensible characters and have the audience follow them to the end without having to forgive them or in any way identify with them we wanted to tell a story where everybody is complicit and responsible and guilty some are punished and some are not And when I read that, it it interested me a lot because it reminded me of the Hayes Code that kind of stuck with film all the way into the late 60s. And and one of the last rules they got rid of before they got rid of the code was the idea that if you're a character that does something bad, you have to be punished. And when that rule left, you got a lot of interesting stuff from the 70s. But still, some of that sort of stuck in the mainstream... Uh, conscious of, of of like Hollywood, that idea still kind of stuck around for a while. And McGuire certainly felt that. And I think Tarantino's films kind of ushered into the mainstream because it certainly existed before. It's not like Tarantino was doing anything new. He was just saying it in a new way. The idea that you can present characters that are not perfect, maybe not even good to that degree, but that they're still interesting and they still... Um, are the catalyst for interesting events to watch unfold and McGuire wanted to make a film where there, where everything is opposite where everyone who is involved is responsible for everything that happens and he probably couldn't make that movie now and it's not even necessarily just the content of it there's another film that came out a couple years ago called green room and the director was like i'm i my name is getting bigger and I don't think in a couple years I'm going to be able to make a movie like Green Room uh, ever. So he went uh, really hardcore with Green Room um, and really nihilistic with it because he didn't think that when his name got bigger that he was going to be able to make something like that with studios. And it's really interesting to see McGuire go from someone who felt that way to someone who basically has been the script doctor and uh, made writing collaborator with Tom Cruise for the past god, five ten years and has gone on to make the two outside of in my opinion the first one best Mission Impossible movies in the series and no I haven't seen Fallout dang it well he a big raise, reason is I, I, I've been you, working late nights so I can only work at night and sleep during the day but also my dad already pre-ordered it on an account, so I'm just waiting for that to come, and when it comes, I'm just going to watch it. When does it. it come
0: out?
2: For free. I have no idea.
0: He, he I'm going to Google wrote it.
2: Not that great. I'm sorry, what's What? That? He wrote The Mummy, which was not that good. Eh. I, Don't sorry, worry. What? Did you say that again. He wrote
1: The Mummy. He He script doctored The Mummy. He didn't necessarily write it. The guy who directed the Mummy wrote it. He also wrote a lot of other crap, and that was the first movie he ever directed. Um,
2: uh, the I forgot
1: that guy's name. Like, like Darkness* and stuff like that. That that was his
2: baby. Like
1: Tom Cruise brought McQuarrie in to fix it.
2: I mean, according to the IMDb, he didn't write it. Kurtzman didn't write it. David Koch, Co- Christopher McQuarrie, and Dylan Kussman wrote it. I guarantee
1: you that McGuire did not start that. It, he has made a, he's made half his career the last 10 years, stepping into Tom Cruise projects and fixing them. So, so not necessarily fixing them, but like make, shaping them around whatever idea Tom Cruise wants. I don't know. Hold on. But that's like saying the new Bohemian, like, the new Bohemian Rhapsody coming out has Brian Singer's name on it, but he like walked off that movie and somebody else made it. And that second person isn't getting any real credit for that movie mostly. So like whoever gets the credit sometimes isn't always who it is, but I I guarantee you after I watched the mummy, like there's no semblance of good writing from the get go. It's, it's not blueprinted well, like some of the, some of the major plot points in that movie are just straight up jacked from other movies. And, um, that's not really
2: his style. Fair enough.
0: Doesn't tell me when it comes out on video or digital. Weird. He bought it. He bought it. Right. So
1: when it's able to Oh, I'm pretty sure that's when I. Yeah, do. but the
0: date should be available when it's. It should tell you when it's going to be available. Oh well. Probably in the next month or so. If they ain't running commercials for I it anyway.
1: When it comes to releases, because it always takes forever. For some reason, it's always the hardest December thing to 4th.
0: find. Okay. December fourth. December fourth. Ah. Uh, December.
1: You said
2: December fourth. November twentieth. November twentieth is the Amazon video release, which I assume is the digital. Oh, because, okay, thank God. Uh, oh, so it seems like you can own it by then and then it's
1: rentable by December 4th so probably like that, yeah. November 20th is when I can watch it
0: that's another month from you
2: now
0: alright uh, we kind of got in
1: which is fine I want to watch the series again before I get to it
0: okay we kind of got into it but I'm not entirely sure but hold on. I'm not sure of something have we done a Macquarie film yet or is this the first one
1: this, we, he's only, he hasn't really done a lot of films. He did this, and then Jack Reacher, and then went straight into the Mission Impossible series as a director.
0: Okay, well, that much—that about covers it. I was going to ask you who is Christopher McQuarrie, but that kind of covers it.
1: Anywho, I, I can go—I can certainly go into him a little bit. He broke onto the scene as a writer, most importantly with *Usual Suspects*. And if you haven't seen *Usual Suspects*, it's amazing. Um, Kevin Spacey leading uh, Notwithstanding But (laughs) that that is the film that broke In him and Brian Singer Into Hollywood that I believe he won an Oscar For it Um, and it was his first Big movie Um, and then He spent all of his time Making The Way of the Gun after that And then he wrote a few other films And then he got involved with Tom Cruise And he wrote and directed Jack Reacher Then became his kind of doctor For a while and Um eventually gotten into the Mission Impossible series.
0: Hmm. Alright. Are we ready? We gotta talk about some news, because some
2: news happened this week.
0: Alright, let's go to Zach with the news.
2: So, a certain movie that me and Alex will appreciate. Chris, you, you don't have to appreciate this, because I know you will not Great! Got its uh, Rotten Tomatoes score that, today.
0: Oh. Uh, Halloween? Halloween. Halloween.
2: Yeah, I've heard. Uh, um, I've
1: heard a lot of people say it's really good. I've heard a lot of people say that it, it has all the greatness and gemness of the best Halloween movies, including the first. And uh, I, I really think I'm gonna enjoy it. The <gasps> yes. The only th- what?
0: Yeah, I was just go ahead. Uh,
1: I it, to me, the one thing I want from Halloween is to understand the aesthetic and atmosphere of it. And there really hasn't been one that I think has done that since the first one. And I like Gordon – David Gordon Green, although a genre-happing person, who's made like a small indie film called George Washington that's beautiful. Uh, he made Pineapple Express. He made the kind of shoddy sitter. Um, he's made a, a, a horror, another kind of more comedy-adventure horror film. He's gone all over the place. But if there's one thing that's been consistent with his um, camera work, it's that he – is a naturalist. He can really pull a lot of like, re- he can pull you into a movie by getting a sense of reality to it no matter what the situation is. There's just a way that he lights it, a way he moves the camera. And the one of the best things about Halloween is the way that camera moves and um, the atmosphere pulls to its framing. And I really feel like he is the kind of guy who's gonna understand how the camera is supposed to move like a shark. When it comes to that film, and I think he's going to get that down. And I'm really excited. I mean, I don't know how the scares are going to be, but um, I think he'll probably nail it in ways that um, a lot of other people would have to try really hard to do.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we got a couple other news. Chris, uh, some of this stuff's much more in line with what you want. Uh, some movies finished shooting this week
0: Spider Man Far From Home.
2: Fireman Far From Home, you uh. finished shooting this week. And then Avengers 4 reshoots did. And a trailer
0: uh, uh, outlined out. Trailer, least, trailer, 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 trailer.
1: I feel like the trailer is probably going to come uh, uh, when people are in the theaters. And um, that's probably going to be in a little bit. When more I'm award season films starts to come probably,
2: out more. Probably well, here's the thing that people are talking about is we know that the Spider Man Far from Home trailer is gonna be attached in into the Spider-Verse, which is coming out in December. <laughs> so we know, which is perfectly acceptable. It's a Sony project, they wanna promote the I project.
0: hope not. That's a That's gonna be bad. I, I, not before Infinity War Not before Avengers Four. Captain
1: Marvel trailer out too. Hold on, hold on, hold on. What was that? They're probably going to get want to get another Captain Marvel trailer out soon, too.
2: Yes. Um, the big thing, though, is I wouldn't be surprised if um, the Avengers 4 trailer is out before Black Friday. Because it's going to be a big marketing strategy for them to say, hey, let's put all these Avengers movies and Marvel movies on sale for Black Friday. And to top it off, here's the trailer to the new movie to really get you in the... Oh Marvel's a thing. I got to rewatch the whole series. so I got to buy the whole series. That's a Marvel. I I would think we'd rather I
1: think we would probably get a teaser more than we would a trailer But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll the get, trailer's going to come in whatever, December.
2: Whatever it is we get. You know, if we get a teaser that just gives us the title or whatever it is, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be more than like 2 minutes or uh, like a minute worth of anything. Like I could, doubt
1: it. It's probably going to be a teaser I would think. Like, yeah.
2: we have to get more Captain
1: Marvel before we get uh, more Avengers, I would think. Yes, um, it's just it's just simply coming before it.
2: Yes. Um, the thing is, we have a Captain Marvel trailer, though. That's that's the thing. I we, would not be we,
1: surprised. We do have a trailer, but like I guarantee you, we're gonna get more, like commercials yeah. and, and stuff like that. I would There's be, gonna be a, bi- a stronger push for it. Like the trailer came out, yeah. but we're gonna they're gonna need to focus on that a little I, bit more. But I do think we'll maybe, get a trailer, a teaser, some sort before Black Friday.
2: I would say we're going to get, probably before Black Friday, both an Avengers teaser trailer, whatever you want to call it, and a Captain Marvel, a second Captain Marvel trailer. I I just wouldn't be surprised if we get both before then. Where, you know, they they have one week where they're going to be like, hey, Avengers, Avengers, Avengers. Okay. And the next week is, hey, by the way, Captain Marvel's still a thing. Come and enjoy it.
1: They they also have to compete with Aquaman and Shazam when that starts to come out, too.
2: Yes, and they really want to bank on, on doing that, because those are both movies that are expected to do very well. Okay. So, I I would be especially surprised if an Avengers trailer does not come out before Aquaman.
0: Okay. 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 Uh, okay. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Listen. That's all well and good. They better not freaking release a Spider-Man trailer before Avengers 4. Period.
1: That would be super, that just wouldn't, I wouldn't like that.
2: That would be weird. And I think think Sony and Marvel understand that, and I think they're planning something ahead. We know that the Spider-Man 2 trailer, the Spider-Man Homecoming 2 trailer is going to be out sometime mid-December, which probably means we're getting an Avengers trailer before then. I mean, also, I would assume
1: that that Spider-Man is probably going to give away information that would be important to the end of Avengers
2: Maybe. I don't necessarily know if I would agree with that. I think the only thing... We know that they're going to come back. We know that m- most of the characters that died have contracts that are going to get moved. Ryan Coogler just signed on for a Black Panther 2. can't have a Black Panther 2 without Chadwick Boseman. No, like, so we all know that they're coming back.
1: That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying that is sucks. that it may re- the trailer may give away information as to how things resolve. Like, It's they- not just that Spider-Man is alive. My guess is we'll probably start to like it would have to be a close to the chest trailer because whatever that world is, it can't be too far away from the first film because they are very good at making yeah. uh, making many franchises within their franchises where you could watch just the Ant-Man films and the Avengers movies and be fine. But I, I honestly think they don't want to do that because especially how Spider-Man goes in the first uh, Infinity War. Like they to show that and then show the trailer and he's all alive and walking around like that's even more of an undercut that makes you care even less so I certainly think that they have to put something out um, Infinity War wise before we get that trailer and then when we do it's probably just going to be him on a class trip farting around with some Jake Gyllenhaal in there as well.
2: Well, that's what I'm thinking. Even if we don't get an adventure, uh, an Avengers thing before then, that's what we'll get anyways. That oh, he's on a class trip. He's you know he's partying around Europe and Jake Gyllenhaal's there doing you know whatever Jake Gyllenhaal's doing. He's the baddie. He yeah, I'm actually really excited because there's some. I was watching some of the images out of that coming out of that. and It looks really cool, and I'm really excited to see Jake Gyllenhaal uh, really pull off a Mysterio. I I love Jake Gyllenhaal. He picks the best stuff. I also can't wait for the
1: three main members of of David Fincher's Zodiac to finally be in uh, the uh, MCU. He's not going to be farting around with Iron Man and uh, Hulk, but it is nice to see the three main characters of Zodiac come together in this universe.
2: Which is uh, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, and Jake Gyllenhaal? Hell yeah. Love
0: I've made this prediction on Facebook a while back, after a certain tweet was released. I'm gonna cry. Zodiac I'm going. I, da, 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 da. I'm going to cry during Avengers four. Yeah.
2: Just saying. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's the end of an era.
0: It's the end of an era. Yeah.
2: I mean, you guys know what Marvel's, like, next big plan is, right? Is they're going to start releasing individual big-budget TV shows. The Eternals! For- no, the big yes. the TV show Scarlet Witch. They're doing a Scarlet Witch one. Yeah. doing a local. A yeah. Show, Tom Hiddleston, Elizabeth Olsen. Uh-huh.
0: And the Eternals.
2: No, Eternals is a movie. I know. For now. <laughs> You're
0: right. That, that hold may on, change real on, quick. Hold just on, like hold, hold on, hold
2: the... on. Laugh about this, but I actually think that Eternals has a better chance of being a full movie now since basically Disney's kind of kind of just thrown in the towel with expecting anything more out of guardians of the galaxy <laughs> and they're pushing towards eternals being that center point space-based marvel product. <laughs> so that, that's not really,
1: I, I guess my point with that is the thing about eternals is i would want it to be a movie because of just the scope and scale of that content but also if, it it depends on who's making it and who's running it like it, yeah if, if it just the content isn't there they don't think they can pull it off in a movie and then they make it a show I could see it going to their Disney streaming service, which is what they're planning on doing with most of their content. I mean, they're giving Black Widow something. They're giving Hawkeye something on there. Like, a lot of main actors are going to go there and start doing shows. So it's going to be interesting.
0: Hawkeye, where do you
1: get your news? At the same time, like I said earlier before we started, there's a push for streaming services Making content that's not going to be in theaters because people aren't going to
2: theaters for new I'd content. I'd also like to point out that for like niche stuff. I'd also like to point out that Eternals was written by Neil Gaiman, who's one of the greatest authors of all time, who wrote me and Alex Tronson's favorite television show of all time, American Gods. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I'm like really excited. Like we got a group of characters written by an author I really love. Hopefully, being directed by someone who's competent enough to understand what they they're they're pushing at, and it sucks that they kind of are going to eventually probably end up taking over for the fact that Disney kind of screwed the pooch with James Gunn.
1: They, I mean, they did screw the pooch with James Gunn, but the whole thing is they were always leading to going off of planet Earth more in Marvel. Yes. Yes. They were always going to spend yes. more time in space. But in that way.
2: the Eternals were not going to take a center stage in that. They were going to be part of it, but they weren't going to be a center point of it. Now they have to I be a center I still don't point.
1: even think they're going to be a center point. I, I Honestly, I think you can still make Guardians of the Galaxy movies, but like not keep the original Guardians in there. You may not have the same tone as James Gunn yes. did, and it may not have the same quality as those first couple movies, but you don't have to have... The main cast—they can keep changing, they can keep switching. That's what they've been doing in the comics, and that's what they're going to do with this, with the MCU. They're going to start switching up uh, the heroes and start adding more. And I think they're going to want us to start getting used to that.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: So, really, what are the odds of the Eternals becoming an ABC show?
2: Mm, very
1: low. <laughs> I would say very little too. Like that's the kind of thing that they probably want to do on a streaming on the Disney streaming service, just because its content is so big and expansive. That's the kind of thing that I think they want to like be able to do anything they want with, rather than take it to ABC that does have more
2: stipulations
1: because it's a network. Yeah.
2: So
0: uh, rest in peace to movie theaters. Pouring out for the homies.
2: I would say rest in peace to movie theaters. I would say they just need to up their ante and really put in, like, services and stuff that lets them compete with the with the streaming services. And that's... I
0: that's mean, me and
2: I have had a conversation about this. That's not where they seem to want to be going.
0: Let's all uh, pour one out for the movie theaters out there.
1: I just want more... Thanks for the to memories. I understand that it's not about bars and, and restaurants being added to it. Necessarily, it's about... The content, Like, you're going to get me to Alamo Drafthouse because they're showing The Thing just randomly within a week. They want to show The Thing or they want to show Empire Records or they want to show Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Like, every – I have them on my Facebook page and every single day I'm seeing amazing showings for films that I would really love to see on the big screen at some point. So, yeah, like – and one of my favorite things about the Alamo Drafthouse is whenever something that comes out on a streaming service or on TV – that does deserve a scope on a big screen, they'll take it and they'll put it on there. Like the Twin Peaks revival, they it's 18 hours, but like there's a lot of draft houses that just straight up had one sitting 18 hour showings. They would take an entire theater and they would dedicate it to those 18 hours. And you could pay for a ticket and you can come and go as you please or sit and watch the entire thing. And it was it, it sounded like an amazing idea. Like that that's the kind of stuff that I wish every theater started paying more attention to it means that bigger movies would take over the other theaters and it means that smaller movies would not be able to get out more but i honestly think that the people that are going to go see movies in theaters now are the people that care about the movies they see in theaters like that that's just the way things are going now
2: and, and alex you know you know this cuz i talked about this all the time you know so so for those listening me chris and alex medito they are working at a movie theater one of the things i always pushed for was Getting these very pop culture things and playing with them, like you know, I I would suggest all the time, especially around like the time of May Fourth. Let's try and see if we can set up like a Star Wars marathon. You know, I mean, where we play all the Star Wars movies. <laughs>
0: good luck with you that. It, it's not a matter of good luck with that, Chris. It's
2: a matter of the suggestion and like being open to the suggestion. Not not that. Like what I, what I'm trying to get at is like even if you're suggesting hey let's you know we, we you know let's do a twin peaks revival thing and we'll play you know all 18 hours of the show and whatever movie we want to put on it and you, and you put it on one small screens and you let it run all day you know what i mean you sell 150 tickets because that's all you're going to sell to it because it's all you can fit in there or whatever you know what i mean or 60 or whatever amount it is you know what i mean and you you work with it and Management was never, never open to an idea like that. They didn't want to create a situation like that. They just wanted to get. No, it. they
1: they have twelve theaters there, and they shove whatever big movies out in about eight or nine of them. I, I still think that our old theater will go for great independent small stuff. Still, um, it's it's still nice to see stuff like Sorry to Bother You or uh, I um, I am Negro, like uh, stuff like that gets in there still but um they need to start focusing on stuff like all theaters need to start focusing on stuff like that isn't it isn't so much just like on may 4th show star wars movies it's like on may 4th get the original prints that weren't messed up by george lucas and show those but like of course you can't legally do that but that's the kind of thing that's going to get hardcore people out the more hardcore people you have coming to this stuff the more you're going to have a decent amount of people coming every night. You just have to fluctuate your content and get it going because it, it isn't so much that they're showing these movies. They're having like movie parties at Draft House. Like you'll go there and there's people who are interested in the movie like at the bar and there are treats for the bar and there's like free things for people and then like they get people together so that they can talk about this stuff. Now these people are coming to Draft House going because they can meet people who love films too. Like that That's something that you that every theater needs to start dedicating to, maybe not all their time, but like that's that's why I love secret cinema at our old theater I haven't been in a while, but I do love that that's there because yeah. it's a it's a it's for people who just love seeing movies in the theater and love seeing old movies and are willing to go and be surprised and go for the experience of seeing a movie in the theater. A lot of people aren't going for the experience of seeing a movie in the theater they're going to see a movie and not really care whether they see it in the theater. Like, It sucks I can't see Fallout on the big screen, but there's a part of me that's like, oh, I'm going to get it for free now in a month, so I'll just wait for that and watch it. I won't get the same experience, but at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, I'm still going to be able to see it. Um, so that element is still there, even in people like me. But if, God, if theaters closer to me were pulling the stuff that Alamo was... I would be going to theaters a lot more but out, like Alamo's like 30 minutes away from me and I don't have a car right now so like nuts to that.
2: Yeah. It sucks. It sucks a lot. But every every now
1: and then there's exceptions to the rule. Like I I was really looking forward to the movie Mandy and I it totally delivered. I got to see it when it came out on VOD and I got to watch it and I loved the experience of it, but it was also really only at Alamo. There wasn't really any other theater that that was carrying it, but that carried it for a long time. But then I looked at the numbers. That movie with VOD and theaters, like especially tickets in theaters, did really well. It was technically a hit for its market just in theaters alone. Um, so there, there are exceptions to the rule. Like A Quiet Place and Get Out are two niche genre movies that shouldn't have succeeded so strongly. Even Hereditary in... Um, in the scope of how movies are coming out these days. But they still are. There's still an element there. So when Peter Bogdanovich is standing around going, films today are not really good and it's all superhero movies, well, you're missing a lot of movies. That's the problem. You're not focusing on those small ones. You're just seeing the big cloud. And people have to search for the things they love. It's an ocean now. A movie, whether it's big or not, is a teardrop in an ocean. You have to go look for it. Um, For example, I have a book that is uh, 500 essential cult movies and I've been going through it trying to watch them all. And just the other day, I was like, I'm going to watch something on Netflix and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to pick three movies from this book and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch them. And I did. And each one was different and each one was weird uh, and I really enjoyed it. And it's just because I took the time to seek them out. In fact, I saw a movie that was really low budget a really simple monster movie that without the thing that made it great would have just been... I guess okay i probably wouldn't have waste my time with it but like venom it was a movie with a per- one guy's performance in it who's going around just acting his ass off and it was a three-dimensional character and he was he was probably one of the most real new york characters i've seen in a movie in a long time and it carried the movie it, it made the movie so much more interesting and if, without him it would just be this kind of duller kind of blander movie so even stuff that like Venom is now existed even then, and the only way I would have discovered that is if I took the time to go search for it. Ted there, guys.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: Sorry,
1: but yeah, I, I was talking for a while, but like that, I I just think uh, that if theaters understood uh, that they need to go to the market of people who love film rather than heading for the big masses because big masses are staying at home and watching what's coming at home way more. Now, um, the content is stronger and more accessible. Um, they need to start heading for people who care about the experience of going to see a movie the way that people who want to go golf are going to go to a golfing range or a putt-putt place, or just, they need to start seeing film goers as a niche market now because that's what they are that's what they're becoming like the the general man when my dad is like when i tell something to my dad that like you me and chris would know just simply because we enjoy film and like look it up and stuff uh he doesn't know he's like that's not mass audience stuff mass normal people wouldn't know that and it's like well you're out of the loop well like that's just the way it is that you're just you you don't Follow news the way that people do nowadays, and it's not going to hit the mainstream audiences because that's more about what's at home rather than what's in smaller theaters.
0: Hmm. Okay. So uh, yeah, rest in peace, movie theaters. Um... I mean, I wouldn't even
2: say rest (laughs) in peace, movie theaters. It's (laughs) it's a completely different thing. you're very... You're assuming that's that's the thing.
0: Yeah, that's what I do. No, I
2: would say rest in peace
1: um, normal movie theaters. And I would say um, hail to the rise of niche market movie theaters. And I'm not saying like Alamo Draft House is perfect. It certainly has kind of focused its attention on guy-oriented stuff. And, and even the three main ones that have been around have all just kind of had bad... Um, press about sexual harassment and, uh, patriarchy and stuff like that. There is a, there is even with our podcast, we, things are kind of geared toward male nerd geekdom and, um, that's starting to change as well. And I would hope to see that as well. But I I certainly think the idea of making, um, the film going experience focused towards people who care about the film going experience, um, important because those people will give you their money the same way that vinyl is a huge thing now. It's a big thing. It's the one format of music that's physical that is uh, over-lasted everything else because people who care about sound and care about quality and care about taking a record and putting it on a table and owning that and watching the physicality of it turning on their table, care about that. They will spend money to get good records. They will spend money to get vinyl that's colored or um, the artwork is amazing because they want to physically own that stuff. They want to be a part of that. They want to give money to it. And if you go to the, uh, the theater and you've had an experience that really changes, I'm sorry, changes you, you will have more people come back for sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I, I think the podcast is finally stepping in, in a direction that's more, you know, tuned towards all audiences and not just male nerd audiences in general. I think... You know, I, 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 like I've said, I'm gonna continue to suggest more stuff that is gonna continue to, you know, push that boundaries and be a little bit weirder and maybe be a little bit with different leads that you wouldn't necessarily expect. You
0: know what I mean? And I'm gonna continue to be the biracial idiot.
1: Uh, again, Chris, like I've always seen you as someone who just hasn't seen, uh hasn't seen everything who, who needs just to see more. That's all. Like, I don't expect every film goer to be like me where I'll watch anything from a silent film to, um, something nowadays that's weird and arty. Uh, I, I just think you in particular, because you want to be a filmmaker and you want to, uh, and you love this stuff. You do. There are things that I think that you can watch and enjoy and appreciate and see the, the talent in, um, you don't necessarily have to love it, but there's a lot of films out there that you could see, like, uh, that not every now and then I'm going to bring to the table an, uh, The Way of the Gun, and every now and then we're going to bring to the table a never-ending story, and you're going to sit there, or a stretch, and you're going to sit there and be like, God, this this movie was either really good, okay, or this was a film.
0: <laughs> Biracial idiot! Okay. Let's talk about the movie.
2: It's not necessarily that you're... A biracial idiot. It's it's more the the fact that you just <laughs> you need to how do I put it? You need to you need to be more open to other genres <laughs> and other ideas.
0: Where's the gun
1: Okay. I I would agree I would agree with Zach that you need that I wouldn't say you need to, but you are becoming more open to not just other genres but why those genres are liked by people in general, why those, why their audiences form. Like I don't necessarily want everyone to love horror or love, um, cult movies or love film noir the way I do, but I would love to sit down with somebody who's seen a movie that I enjoy and go, I don't really know why people like that. And then at the end of the conversation, walk away and be like, okay, I get it now. I get why people appreciate those films. I get why there's an entertainment value in it. It's not for me, but I understand why that art form has merit to it. That That's all that I want. Like, when I watched Beauty and the Beast, it wasn't necessarily for me, but um, I walked away appreciating a lot of things from it. Um, and it isn't just because I don't like musicals or I don't like Disney. I honestly just felt it was... Well, Uh-oh.
0: Okay, I'm so track. good that's that good.
1: Why wouldn't you want to put a remake of the that wasn't necessarily um, worth all the money and time and extravagance to it, but it was appreciative to hear Ewan McGregor sing be my guest. It was uh, nuts to see Emma Watson um, really be a good Belle. She was a great Belle, Uh, and she hasn't really impressed me since um, she was Hermione and, and really much of her other stuff. Uh, I I think the bling ring is good, but she hasn't really fit a role yet. And I really think she fit Belle properly. Uh, And I walked away from that film being like, okay, I I see the merits in it and I see what's good about it. And I see what's important. It's not for me, but um, I get why people walked away from that experience, enjoying it. And that's what I try to do with every film. That's kind of what I hope is the case for you, that one day you get to the point where you're flipping through the channels and you see a movie and you watch it for about 10 minutes and you're like, okay, I get it. I get the vibe, I get the style, I get what they're going and I see the merit in it. And hopefully you take what you learn from that experience and put it in your own art because that's the only way you're gonna be a better filmmaker is if you watch more films, understand what's good about them and learn what you can and put those uh, teachings into your own work. Take those experiences and put them in your own work. That's why Tarantino is amazing to me it, people call him a thief, but to me, he's somebody who's watched so many films that it's helped um, shape the way that he tells them and basically makes novels on film. He makes films that you can come back to over and over and over and over and over again with detail because he's watched so many different ways you can tell a story and figured out the ways that he wants to tell his story specifically because he's done the work. He's done, it's, it's not just that he's passionate, he understands the art form he's working in.
0: Okay, we're 40 minutes in. We gotta talk about Way the Gun.
1: It's the opposite of last week. Last week I was kind of sick, so we barreled. Also, we started late. Because yeah, single difficulties. We barreled yeah. right through Never Ending Story because of just time, and, and I wasn't really as into it just because I wasn't feeling very well, but yeah, I'm not surprised we went back to our old ways of talking Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: but you know that's a lot of the fun of, of doing stuff like this is you know one week we can barrel through a movie that's very good and you could take a lot of time on the next week we're sitting we're talking about what's important in film and that's i think that's the beauty of this this podcast
0: okay <laughs> way of are the, the <laughs> way of the gun uh okay fine all right. What's
2: up? Let's
0: do it. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready? Because I'm about to do this. I'm about to drop the bass so hard you guys won't even feel it. So um, before before we go into
1: the synopsis, your your stance right now is mostly that um, it's slow at parts.
0: It's really slow. It was okay. It was slow at parts. The motivations of each character were not clear to me. Though I th- could understand that they were being expressed, but I, they were just lost on me because it just felt like they were mumbling through stuff, or my, vo- gotcha. or maybe I should have just turned subtitles on. I don't know. Um, but Corey kills it. He's really grown. Um, yeah, I, I, I like. I liked the performances. I did. Um. If I had, if I had to name a standout, I'd have to if I had a gun to my head. <laughs> um. And. Your head. No, just... Let me just look out my window here. Um. <laughs> so glad you guys don't know where I live. Um. Yet.
2: You don't know that. I know where you. I don't know where you live.
0: No, you don't. Boy? Um. If I had a gun to my head, ha 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 ha, and you told me what's your up <laughs> performance, <laughs> and if you asked me to name a up performance to me, uh, I might ask you to shoot me, because um, I really Del don't Toro, know.
1: Man. I, watching this again, I really appreciated everything Del Toro was doing, full on. Like, the more I watched, Del, and that's the thing, when Usual when usual Suspects came out, Del Toro is in there, but he's in one of the smallest roles. But he, what he does in it makes him the most memorable thing about that movie. He's in it for like 20 minutes or so, but he is, he is unbelievably memorable. And he formed a relationship with McGuire that carried to this film. And in this film, like, he had way more dialogue. But he came to McGuire and he's like, I, this, I don't want all of these lines. I want you to cut them out, and I want him to be more quiet. And his performance is really great. Like when he is in the middle of the shootout and they do the cover – like cover me and move and stuff like that whenever it's his turn to move he walks like he's just going to get the mail like he's he's shooting people when he's in it and then he's like cover me and then he just kind of puts the shotgun down and gently walks away like it's an everyday thing and i love that i love that it's just it's nothing to him in the moment because he's enjoying it so much that says a lot about the character without him walking around being like i love this stuff it's day-to-day stuff to me, shooting a gun and being in a gunfight. is like, you know, getting the mail from me. Like, instead of him saying that, he just does it. And I, I love that. That's a choice, and it's a really good one.
0: I do now understand how he got the role in um, Sicario.
1: Yeah, I, I would say there's a lot of... Um, when I watch The Usual Suspects, I go, Oh, no wonder he's doing what he does in Star Wars. But I watched this, and I'm like, no wonder he's doing what he does in Sicario. Agreed.
0: Um, this is probably a preview of what Pulp Fiction is probably going to do to me. Um,
2: Dude, I uh, No, I would say... Chris, um, I think when you watch Pulp Fiction, you're going to love Pulp Fiction. I think you're going to think it's the coolest movie ever. You're going to have so many questions about it like everyone else will, and I hope and I know you're going to be giddy with, like, theories about how the movie goes, because the movie is... I, I, I think you're going to enjoy Pulp Fiction. The difference between
1: something like this and Pulp Fiction is um, this has characters... That, Pulp Fiction also has... It, it's hard not to look at The Way of Gun and see Ryan Phillippe and Benicio Del Toro's characters as, like, kind of uh, mirrors of what John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson do in that movie... That kind of idea is carried on to other movies pretty um, pretty profusely but the thing about Pulp Fiction is despite its content despite its characters not really being uh, perfect people or in some cases uh, good it's an entertaining movie every single bit of that movie is entertaining its vibe its music the dialogue the way people act how scenes are set up the way you don't see things going and then they unfold like the reason Pulp Fiction is amazing is because it's just a fun, entertaining ride. And I don't think that's the case here with The Way of the Gun. The Way of the Gun is way more paced. It's more quiet. It's more, um, I wouldn't say dour, but I feel like it understands its content more. Its jokes are very small and simple and visual. There are no like ha-ha moments in it. Um, it, it's, it it's meant to reflect the uh, events that are happening. Whereas in Pulp Fiction, you have Hitman going on jobs, talking about uh, hamburgers in Europe, like they're just chatting like everyday people, and it's fun, witty, really interesting dialogue that is entertaining. Like I don't, I'm not picking Pulp Fiction just because. It's an amazing movie, or you need to, or, or uh, it's a popular movie, and you need to understand Tarantino. I'm picking it because it's one of the most entertaining movies that has ever been made. And everyone who watches it, to some degree, has at least two or three scenes that they walk away from, and they're like, that was great. And
2: uh, I was thoroughly entertained when I watched that. Chris, when I first saw Pulp Fiction for the first time, it was because a friend of mine in college who is, you know, I again she's like the one of the biggest hipsters I ever know. But she found out I'd never seen Pulp Fiction but I watched a lot of Tarantino. And the one and the thing she did was she went out she 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 and I drove out to a um a down in the valley. She went she picked it up for two dollars, bought it and said, I'm gonna buy this for you and you're gonna sit and watch it tonight and you're gonna tell me about what you think of it and I loved it. I had nothing better to do, and I sat and I watched it.
1: I, uh, I, ha- I had that happen with David Lynch's Blue Velvet. I just kind of saw a bit of it and then went home and me- or went to a store immediately after, bought it, went home and enjoyed the experience. But for Pulp Fiction, for me, when I first watched it, there was some of it that I was like, I don't necessarily know if I get this or get this vibe down. But there was certainly half of it where I was like, this is great. This is going to be one of the movies that I come back to uh, every, er- all the time. And I have watched it less and less recently because I want to uh, really let it sink in more. And the more, and that's the thing: the when you when someone says this is a popular, influential movie that's done a lot for you, um, the more movies you watch, the more you start to understand that. Uh, like the way the gun for me has gotten better and better the more I watch other films and understand how they move. Especially McGuire himself after watching the two other movies that he's made since then watching how he creates set pieces like the beginning of Jack Reacher is an amazing set piece that gives you a lot of exposition through visuals and I'm so shocked that this guy who wrote one of the most interesting dialogue driven films of the 90s um, has gone on to make some of the most visual set pieces in films around like that. That's so interesting to me. And I never would have noticed that the first time around. Like when I first saw The Way of the Gun, I was like, God, that shootout at the end is amazing. The the cars slowly following each other each other. There's like tension to that in weird ways that I didn't fully understand. And the more movies I watch, the more I appreciate those those things. Like watching um Venom and seeing that car chase and being like yeah, that's a that's an okay car chase. It's comprehensible. I can see where it's going. And yeah, there's one moment where he's on his bike and flying through the air that I appreciated visually, but then I see the way of the gun, and I see them do that car thing, and I'm like, that's really interesting. Why did he make that decision? Well, turns out they did that in an episode of Cops. These criminals were ge- getting followed by cops, so they slowly went into an alleyway and then just kind of slowly paced their car through the alleyway so they wouldn't hit anybody and knew where they were going It didn't scratch the car. And then eventually they peeled out and they lost the cops. And that was a really interesting idea to McGuire. He wanted to put that in a movie because they have this pregnant woman in their car and they don't want to start peeling out of the way. But then also they want to uh, get the upper hand on the two guys that are following them by the second time they do it. And that really, I appreciate that so much more now. You don't see it coming. It's really interesting. And you don't understand what's going on until the very end. And when you do, it's like, ah, there were a lot of wheels spinning there. Um so yeah it's it's the more movies you watch the more you're going to start appreciating them as well as the more you watch the same movie over and over again but i think stuff like the wave the gun and especially reservoir dogs uh are going to get you prepared for what pulp fiction can do but i i don't think you're prepared for that movie like there's at least one in, one scene in particular that i don't think you're going to see coming period uh no one ever does and the fallout is so interesting. Yeah, right. like one of the best things about Pulp Fiction is not that it's nonlinear or that its story kind of jumbles all over the place. It's because you don't know what's going to happen next. And when it does, you're like, oh, wow. appreciate that.
0: Dead air. Um...
2: Hey, Chris. Yeah! Did that change anything about your opinion about film?
1: No, I, I don't think it will. I mean, I
2: honestly.
0: About, about the, the film, movie film movie. or in film in general?
2: Film in general.
0: <laughs> what?
1: What? I mean, I, I, I would say that that's just my hope. I don't think he's necessarily going to see where I'm coming from until he sees more films. In general, like I didn't, I didn't really know that that was going to happen until I watched more films. I and it's not even just films; it's stories in general. My favorite book I've gone back to over and over and over again. And people are like, "Why do you read your favorite book over and over again?" And I'm like, "Cause it, I come with a different perspective every time. When I first read it, I was in high school, and there's a sense to it that I didn't understand. And now that I'm a bit older and in my thirties, I certainly understand." this one specific section where the main character is in his thirties and aimless and doesn't know what he's doing. And then there's another section where he's a family man and has kids. And maybe when I'm older and have that, I'll understand that side so much more. Uh, That's what, that's the great thing about stories. The older you get with your favorite ones, the different ways that you see them, not necessarily in just how they're told, but in ways that they were told that you just never understood in the first place.
2: Fair enough.
1: We're 53 minutes Watching in. Watching the way of the gun now and seeing those two guys being like it's either petty crime or minimum wage and we just broke off that path. I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I would love to do that. I would absolutely love to do that. Who wouldn't love to do that?
2: Alright. You okay there, Chris? I'm just ready
0: to start. I, yes. I know.
2: Okay. Wait, we're having kind of an existential like, conversation here about film and you're
0: like not having it. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not that I'm not having it. I'm just ready to go. I mean I would if I if I didn't want to have it I would I would have interrupted you guys, but I'm too nice.
2: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's totally the reason. <laughs> I'm kidding. Love ya.
0: Oh, you say that. Alright, let's do this
2: film This is something you gotta you gotta consider if you want to be a creative. Wait, wait, but before we do this, is is this your birthday week?
0: No, it's next week.
2: Okay, so I'll I'll save my wishes for them, then. Then.
0: <sighs> All right, are you guys ready? I'll be sure to send you
2: send the birthday skeleton your way, Chris.
0: Again, you don't know where I live. Um,
2: the birthday
1: skeleton. I'm, a, I'm outside your house right now. I'm in the trees.
0: Yeah. What trees?
1: Exactly. <laughs> I just,
0: I just look out my window. They're just fake trees.
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> nah, the Chris, like the inflatable the palm, trees. palm trees. Chris, the, the the birthday skeleton knows where you live, even if you if I don't know where you live. Um, he knew where
0: you live? he's he Okay. Um. Let's,
1: I, let's say go go. All right.
0: The way of.
1: The real wealth you wish
2: for.
0: The Way of the Gun, written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie, released September 8th, 2000, starring Benicia del Toro, Ryan Filippi, right? Felipe. Yeah. Felipe, um, Juliette Lewis, um, Tay Diggs, James Kahn. Um, not to be confused with Scott Kahn. Yeah, father. Really?
1: The guy who plays Russian Roulette—that's Juliette Lewis's real father.
0: Oh! The one who dies in he's the
2: police been, car?
1: Yeah, he's been in movies since the '70s. He's in—he's uh, in *Devil's Rejects* actually. But um, yeah, he's at Chris actual hasn't
2: song. seen *Devil's Rejects*. And no, I'm, does, talking I'm, you, I'm, talking <laughs> I'm talking to you, Zach. I'm not talking to Chris. No, no, say, he, I like, yeah. That's the Alex, robot. Alex, I, I don't want to make you sound sound and undercut you or anything, but if Chris ever c- comes onto this podcast and says, "Hey guys, I just watched doubles rejects," I'm gonna be like, "Who who who killed Chris Rose and who replaced him with this person?" Because <laughs> stuck I, him in a warehouse and slapped
0: his penis in his face.
2: Yeah. you laughing about this but I'm not kidding no it was the warehouse joke
0: I, the haven't, I haven't heard that in such a long time Oh man!
1: Still the best way to describe those movies.
0: Okay, so I tr- like I said I tried taking notes. The first three minutes just broke me, and I stopped. So it's synopsis night.
1: That uh, again, another reason why I think you should watch these movies more than once. But I, I do understand why you wait until just before the podcast to do it
0: so (laughs) let me break this down um so parker and longbow yep l-o-n-g-b-a-u-g-h
1: the the real names of Witch cassidy and sundance kid okay Those were real real people in real life and they took the monikers Butch Cassie and Sundance Kid but their real names were uh, these guys' names. They went the opposite route and took their names for their fake names.
0: So these guys are two born uh, troublemakers. Um, So the exit a line movie starts at a dive bar. Um, So they I think they just get out of, they just walk out of line, they go in just, uh, and a long bow, played by Benicio Del Toro, just leans on the car while they're talking up in the distance. This guy, this dork, with the gingeriest of hair, um, says, hey, get, get off my car. And then, in a surprise appearance by Sarah Silverman, I'm just. I literally sat there. I'm like, is that Sarah Silverman? It is Sarah Silverman. That's Sarah Silverman.
1: That's like just off of SNL looking for small roles, Sarah Silverman.
0: It is. So, she then just. Verbally just. Just. Fought. It was like. An opening salvo on these guys. Just, and it, the language took me by surprise. The whole content of the, of what she said just, just took me by surprise. No, it has nothing to do with me being a Christian. It's no, just, it's, it's literally, it's like, whoa. Um, I mean,
2: Chris, I'm not judging you for being a Christian, but, <laughs>
0: but you are.
2: I'm always judging. Uh, no, like it—it's shocking. It's it its shocking
0: its 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 genuinely shocking.
1: She—she has—she just goes off on him. The—the boyfriend is like, "Wow, I didn't even think you had it in him." But yeah, like <laughs> they sit, they sit on the car. The car alarm goes off. The boyfriend's like, "Hey, get off my car! Get off my car!" And they don't care. And then the girlfriend just starts going ham on them, like ripping into them. And Ryan Phillippe turns around, and he bats her back with something just as harsh and uh, cutting. And someone in the crowd laughs, which I love. There's, like, this interesting (laughs) laughter that happens after he says his line. And she's like, what are you going to do about it to her boyfriend? the boyfriend's like, I'm going to fight him. And he takes off his jacket, and he's like, I'm going to go fight him. And so he goes down, and while he's walking down to them, she is continuing this, like, tirade of disgusting, just... Just verbal assault, and she just keeps going and going. Okay. The the okay. Like, okay. Stop. Uh, she may have a big mouth on her, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm going. Hold on. To Hold
0: keep on. Hold ass. on. Let me get. Let me. Let me take it from here. So straight out of Jack Reacher, um, they're outside the dive bar. He goes down to them. Just goes. He walk. The dude walks up to him. He's like, okay. She's harsh, but she's right. I'm gonna. Kick the crap out of you. I thought he was going to hit him. He popped, Ryan Phillippe, popped Sarah Silverman right in the mouth. Repeatedly.
1: Yeah, just punches the heck out of her.
0: That shook me so hard. I'm like, whoa. That's how you make a guy unlikable.
1: Yeah. Not only does he do that, but Benicio Del Toro grabs her friend and just kisses her. <laughs>
0: that was, I remember that. And then she pushes him away
1: and she slaps him. And his retaliation, seeing that she has sandals on, is to just stomp all over her feet.
0: <laughs>
1: like, they assault these women. And the, the interview with McGuery, the interviewer's like, why did you start the movie that way? And he's like, when I was in college, um, there was a guy who uh, started a fight with my friends. And uh, he got into the fight and he lost. And the girl um, that he was fighting with got uh, hurt as well. They didn't attack her. She just got hurt. And when they were leaving, she just kept railing into her boyfriend about why he had to get into the fight. So he wanted to start the film with the guys saying they knew they were going to lose. This entire crowd was on the boyfriend and the girlfriend's side, not theirs. So they decided to win the spirit of the fight by attacking the woman. Therefore, when she walked away with the boyfriend, she would be mad at him for starting the fight. And she does. The first words out of Sarah Silverman's mouth when they leave and she's got a bloody nose is, why did you have to start that fight? Um, Interesting thing about how this scene played out on set Ryan Phillippe actually punched Sarah Silverman in the face by accident. <laughs> I'm laughing? She was knocked out and Ryan Phillippe was crying. He was sobbing above her and he was like, I'm so sorry. He spent the next week apologizing to her profusely. He's like, I am so sorry. I, I it wasn't even that he was in the moment. He just didn't, didn't judge the distance properly. And she got hit by accident. Uh, it, it it's pretty it's it's a pretty insane scene wow because 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 not only that right after they do that the entire crowd of people waiting outside the club swarm uh, Del Toro and Filippi and they just beat the crap out of them they like spread their legs apart and stamp on their crotches they just go to town on them and they should they should
0: okay that was such ladies
2: and gentlemen, the leads of our movie. <laughs> Getting their asses handed to them.
0: That's one way to get me in in uh, intrigued. I'm like, okay, I'm awake. I'm awake. I'm awake. I literally just sat there as it happened, like with my tablet in my lap. I'm just like, just watching it with with like mouth agape. I'm just like, what do I even type here?
2: You don't.
1: Watching it now, I can't help but notice all of the club outfits that people are wearing. They're so 90s. Like the goggles, the spiked hair, the, the silk and weird velvet shirts that people are wearing. Like button-up, short sleeve shirts. It's so funny to watch all these people swarm. These guys that are dressed rather cool and timeless and just beating the crap out of them.
0: So uh, titles, uh, opening credits. Um, so, let me, uh, okay. So, Parker and Longbow are two born troublemakers who travel anywhere they can find or steal money any way they can. While at a sperm donation facility, which was a, (laughs) that was, wow. Um, those are some fascinating opinions. Um. He's, he's not wrong. Well, neither of them
1: are wrong. It's just how they come about doing it, which is really bad. Like, Philippi has a good point. Like, it's not necessarily what you say. It's how you say it. He just does it in a really aggressive kind of weird way. And Del Toro is he's making good points. Like, you should ask people these questions before you take their sperm.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, there's are sperm.
2: I kind of love how going into this, they're having this conversation, they just have, like, Two or three dirty magazines that they're reading while they're doing it. Yeah, they take the magazines
0: that are supposed um, to be for
1: bathrooms and just take them into the waiting room.
0: <laughs> just for content, I'm gonna rate this as explicit. Um.
1: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like if you if you're watching this movie, they need to be prepared right off the bat. It's, yeah. Like the opening scene and the scene afterwards. Like the opening scene is like visceral uh, as hell, and then the second scene, like they just start spouting off the F word. Not the F-word, F-word, but like the other F-word. And it's all to make a point uh, to say who these characters are and what they believe in and the world that they came from. But it's aggressive. It's aggressive content right off the bat.
0: I've seen Fallout, Rogue Nation, Jack Reacher. I was not expecting this from McQuarrie in the slightest.
1: That's why I I picked it because I think visually and storytelling-wise, it really highlights what would make him a success later. But content-wise... Uh, no one saw this coming, even with the usual suspect The usual the usual suspects is a crime movie A heist movie, people double cross each other For sure, there's language in it But there's nothing like this This is crazy This is more like Sam Peckinpah, the Wild Bunch type stuff so Like there are no bounds And he says it himself I wanted to make a movie where there were no rules To still say something, but there were no rules
0: Okay so, while at a sperm donation facility over, um, looking at, uh, porn magazines to, uh, get ready, they overhear a telephone conversation detailing a $1 million payment to a surrogate mother for burying the unborn baby of Hal Chitik, played by Scott Wilson. Forgot that. he was in, I forgot about that. To include him in the opening credits there. Um, Parker and Longbow resolve to kidnap the pregnant surrogate, Robin, at the, uh, Oh yeah, this is skipping over a lot of stuff. So, I mean, I'm
1: watching it. Right now. Well, yeah, there, I mean, t- to be honest, there's a lot of like, it, it. There's a lot of this is told visually, but there are some over-written parts. But you, and and again, uh, you said before that there was like some things that you didn't fully understand. And the more you watch it, the more you kind of put the pieces together. Um, because I, the first time I watched it, I was like, who is the guy on the phone they're listening to talking to? What? Well, why is he bringing up this information to them in the first place? Which totally undercut the fact that it was about the information more than anything else. But, and if they, if the guys had really paid attention to the conversation, they would have understood the kind of man that they were probably kidnapping, rather than just thinking, "Oh, it's a rich guy with a rich wife." Um, but yes, uh, it, it's they it, it, the piece the the inciting incident is really just sort of barreled into right away there's a setup with them at the bar and them at the place and then the scene after that is them finding out that information and then immediately jumps to juliette lewis talking to the surrogate parents and scott and scott wilson and everything it's a much slower scene but it those things are really the only setup that we get these two scenes and then it just kind of goes straight into the inciting incident
0: Um... Okay. So, they come to the decision of, okay, I... We don't want to do this $3,000 sperm donation. So, we're going to kidnap this uh, surrogate mother that's worth millions of dollars and hold her for ransom. So... We meet her meeting with, um, uh, Hal Chidich. Chick. Yeah, Chidich. Um, they were mumbling so much that they were saying chick, but you know, um, or to me, I I, I heard chick. i was like like, well, of course they would be saying chick. The movie. What kind of movie do you think I'm watching? Um,
1: <coughs> uh, I do I do think it's very interesting in the interview. McGuire also said that everybody treats Robin like meat um even the Chitticks. and uh that was a, that was in his mind a comment on how women are treated in film but to be honest regardless of whether that was intent or not like everyone does treat Robin like she is a commodity like she's a product and you can see it on her face
0: so so yeah, she so yeah Robin's talking to Hal um I forget exactly what he was talking about, but the thing that uh, I remember was that she spoiled that it was a boy.
1: So she she is just seeing the Chitticks and talking about um, how close she is to the delivery. It's Mr. Chittick, who is like an old guy, probably in his 60s, and his wife, who's like a blonde, stunning 20-something-year-old. Uh, who basically just did not want to be bothered with a pregnancy at all. Um, so they got this surrogate, and uh, she just kind of walks in and says, "Oh, this this is nice. You just feel my stomach. It's okay." And then she just gets up and walks away. And Robin is like, "Your wife doesn't like me," and the, the husband's like, "No, no, no. She's gonna love the baby, and she really appreciates what you're doing." Um, and he's just kind of they kind of had this uh, existential philosophical discussion really doesn't mean much and she spoils the delivery of the she spoils the sex of the baby uh, and then she the you see the bodyguards and she says she's gonna go to the appointment with the doctor but the point of the scene is to just sort of give you the relationship between her and the chittix which is fairly cold and uh, the wife doesn't really like her Um, and she's she's also overseeing the conversation that she left through a window and she does that a lot. She's the one observing most of this. She's the one pulling a lot of the strings based off of what she wants in the moment that she wants it. But it's it, it's mostly just to show that Robin really just kind of has a cool relationship with them, and that the wife really is kind of uh, kind of a jerk.
0: So, um, so she goes with the uh, the bodyguards uh Jeffers and uh Obex, right? Um yeah. She goes with she goes with those two and uh they um to the uh pregnancy clinic and um Parker and Longbow are um waiting for them. So she goes in has her appointment with um uh Dr. uh Dr. Painter. Um uh yeah to...
1: which which once you understand his relationship to the Chittix, uh
0: really
1: really kind of makes you laugh because that name just sounds fake
2: hmm
0: so um let's see here so they have the appointment she's given a tape um at this point we don't know what it is, it was mentioned, Is just... What did they say at this point in the movie? What did they say the tape? What did he say the tape was?
1: He just said, this is the tape I told you about.
0: Okay. So it's a VHS um, there, tape.
1: There's a, there's a sense of mystery around the tape. They reveal it later. There's a scene where people look at it and you can't see what it is. Uh, the impact of the moment of when it happens later is more for the character than it is the audience but along with the two hit hitmen being a lot like John Travolta and Samuel Jackson in Pulp Fiction the um, the videotape and us not knowing what it is and the mystery of it is very closely resembling the suitcase in Pulp Fiction which which also has a sense of mystery to it
0: All right so let me see here Okay so I'd the kidnapping of the surrogate of the escalates so so they walk in, um, Longbow walks in first, they're, so yeah, they're escorting her out.
1: Actually, I want to cut you off for a second. The okay. two, they're waiting outside, um, and the two bodyguards already know before they walk in the building that those are two guys that they should watch. And there's a guy, uh, more bodyguards in the car that they signal to uh, keep an eye on them. So even before they walk in the building, they already know that these two guys are shady as hell.
0: Um right. So Oh yeah. So he so um Parker puts a sock puts uh walks up to them puts a sock on his head. They uh, uh
1: Again, I want to I'm sorry. Again, I'm sorry. because I want to I wanna point, I'm sorry. I just want to point out another thing that I think is really cool about Del Toro in this movie. Every time they sneak up on somebody or every time there's like a a moment where those two guys are working together as criminals, Benicia del Toro will always show up first in an inconspicuous way in order to get the turn on somebody else. So before Ryan Phillippe even walks into the building wearing the mask, del Toro's already in the building with a newspaper and he passes in front of the two guys reading a newspaper so that when Ryan Phillippe walks up to them, he's already waiting behind a pillar with a gun to put behind their heads. <clears throat> it happens later when the doctor meets him at the gas station. Del Toro walks by the doctor in an inconspicuous way and then gets the uh, drop on the doctor again. He does it over and over and over again, and I love it.
0: So, um... Okay, so, yeah, guns... Okay, so, now, drums are... Pff, drums. Guns are drawn. Um... So, Longbow has a gun to Robin. So the guards are turn around and and uh draw their guns and then Parker shows up, points the guns to the back of the to the back to the backs of their heads. And they're willing they're prepared they're not they're really they're willing to sacrifice Robin. In order to save the child, because the child is who they're protecting, not necessarily her. Um,
1: yeah, it's, it's crazy. Parker's like, okay, we're going to take the girl, and they put the gun at the girl. And then um, he's like, come on, you're supposed to be protecting her. And then they point their guns directly at the baby. Both of them do, directly at her stomach. And she screams, they don't care about me, they care about winning. And this is where you start because here's the thing. We don't know who Mr. Chittick is. We don't know what kind of man he is. And we don't really know why he has bodyguards on her. So when they act this way, you start to get something weird about the vibe of them and this entire situation. On top of the fact that Longbow and Parker really didn't do their research and don't know what the hell they're getting themselves into, despite the fact that they've been in the criminal game individually for quite a while.
0: Um. So, let's see here. So, yeah, it escalates into a shootout. But they slowly and smartly what, walk out the building and they get into a shootout that we don't see with the drivers outside.
1: Oh, yeah, there was one other moment, too, Um, when Parker is behind him with the two guns. And before they actually get into the discussion about what they're going to do, that Parker Longbow looks at Parker and he's like, Hey, the people and Parker looks to the left and they're just people. Oh, right, right, right. Staring at them. And he's like, can't you people see that there are guns here? And everyone runs out. However, they like minutes later after this entire thing has happened and they've done the move and they get out of the building. It's been at least two minutes. Everyone who was in that building had time to leave, but some people didn't. So when this shootout happens that we don't see and you walk out there later. Um, there are normal civilians that are dead, which yep. means they didn't leave in time, and they kind of stuck around to see what would happen and died for it.
0: Yep, yeah, that, that was a thing that happened. Um. So they have the shootout. Jeffers tells Robin, get into the elevator, go to the top floor, wait for me to come back. So, right as the elevator door is about to close, uh, she stops it, gets out, walk, walks all the way to the front door, and then door opens, and it's Parker. He grabs her, takes her to the station wagon, and drives off. And, yeah, they, and she they drive tried off. To go to
1: the doctor's office. She tried to go to the doctor's office first, but it was closed, um, which is odd. And then, yeah. she, then even Otter, she tries to leave.
0: Yeah. Um. Let's see here. So, so they leave with her. They evade Jeffers and Obex in just really, really cool fashion. Like they. I'm not sure how to describe it, honestly. It's just, they just, first they stopped, got out of the car, went separate directions, left Robin in the car.
1: They, they pull the car, they're in the middle of a car chase on the open road, and Parker and Longbow take their car and they move it into an alley of some sort between two buildings, yep. and then leave the car running. Uh, and then get out and start um, shooting at the two guys. The two guys get out, they leave their car where it is, and they have their shootout. Once the car is in open area, Longbow and Parker jump in, and the two bodyguards have to jump back to their car. And it's to set the rhythm. get out of their car, they gently push it, and then only Parker gets out. Longbow stays in the car, and then they trick the two guys.
0: It was great. <laughs> I thought it was really great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, then the the cops come, and, uh, yeah, well, done...
1: yeah, they done... Tri- they trick them by the two guys, like, once their car is left behind and Longbound Parker have moved ahead into an open area, they speed their car up to where they are, and, Long- and Longbound Parker take the... Robin out of the car and then back theirs into theirs, causing an accident. And while they're both sitting in their car, just kind of dazed, they uh, make their moment to strike, or at least Parker proves to them that he can. He like walks up to them with his gun and he points it out and just sort of say like, "I could have killed you if I wanted to," but they're both still reeling from the accident and they just know they have the drop on him. Parker runs back into his car. And uh, the cops show up, and uh, the two bodyguards kind of know that they've got to go with the cops.
0: Okay, so after the shootout in which two of the guards and bystanders are killed, they escape with Robin and Elude, Jefferson and Obex, yep, who are arrested, yep. As the fugitives head south, Jefferson and Obex are bailed out and returned to Chittick by Joe Sarno, played by James Caan, a seasoned operative and close friend of Chittick. Asano begins coordinating the rescue of Robin, Longbow contacts Robin's gynecologist. Oh yeah, that's the, doc, the doctor. Um, and orders him to a uh, truck stop to examine Robin because she's not feeling so well.
1: It's also at that truck stop. They've, they've stolen a car and then gone to a rental place and gotten another one. At that gas station, Benicio Del Toro just kind of gently steals things for the fun of it, and then he takes the videotape with the clerk who's flirting with, and they watch it for a bit. We don't get to see it, but they do, and it sort of sets up more of a mystery of what it is. In that meantime, Parker is sort of creating a connection with Robin, and giving her a part of his, like, sandwich and stuff, and then all of a sudden, a little bit later, she starts to be in pain. And that's when they have to call uh, the doctor, yeah. <clears throat>
0: Okay. So Longbow calls and demands a fifteen million dollar ransom for the safe return of Robin and the baby. So am I, Wait, am I skipping something? Was did he call them? Yeah, you're
1: skipping. You're skipping a few things.
0: Okay, yeah. this synopsis sucks. So it, suck. it be be skips honest, the entire gas station be
1: honest, bet. John, not only that, like the whole the whole scene where he bails those guys out happens, like. At least right. another half an hour minute like a half an hour later um but yeah like the doctor comes in and he looks at robin he says that she's dehydrated and in uh, trauma he tries to get the drop on him with a gun and long bow tests parker's trust in people by letting the gun stay in the bag that's a setup Parker for later kind of his way out of the situation that's definitely a setup uh, for later i'm sorry
0: the the gun bit with uh painter that's a setup for later
1: Yes, like it sets up their relationship, which is that Parker has a little bit more of a conscience than Longbow. Longbow in this situation doesn't really trust people. Um, and you find out a little bit more of their backstories as to why each one feels the way they do. But also in that, uh, in the middle of that scene, Chittick calls Sornos, and this is the first time we get an idea of him calling his bag man. And in that process, you again can see that his wife is just sitting there nonchalantly, watching and observing this entire situation. The doctor, uh, after they've attacked him and he's looked at Robin, goes into a bathroom with uh, Parker and Longbow and he starts to tell them who Chittick is. Like they've taken uh, the foster or the surrogate mother of a really bad guy, a guy connected to the mob who's laundered money for them. And Longbow and uh, Parker are like, whatever, who cares? Um, That's when it cuts to Abner the juliet lewis's father playing russian roulette and uh with, <laughs> himself. with himself with himself well that's what Rush, yeah like by himself like he sticks a bunch of guns uh in a pillowcase he spins the pillowcase so that he can't tell where the guns are he's only put bu- he's only put a bullet in one gun and he starts playing russian roulette with himself he goes through at least two guns as his phone is ringing and
0: he ignores it No, he goes so through one like, gun like, oh, then he's about to pull uh, the trigger on the second Then the phone rings.
1: Uh, I'm going to be honest. At first, when I watched this movie, I was like, what's the point of this? Why is this taking so long? Is this to just sort of tell us what the movie is? It is about the title, the way of the gun. And it's this time that I actually really started to notice how much Abner, the guy who plays uh, the guy who's playing Russian roulette and um, Sornos, uh, James Caan's character, the bag man, are pretty much mirror images but older versions of long bound Parker if they had stayed on the criminal path of staying in the organization like del Toro says later in the film that he used to be a bag man but he gave that up and Parker says later that he used to be a hit guy he used to just do dirty jobs for people including murder people if need be and that's kind of what Abner is Abner is the guy who kind of goes in and and is the muscle of the two men and it seems like the Bagman and Abner are older, kind of worn-out versions of Parker and Longbow. And now that I've seen it a couple times, I'm actually really starting to notice that. So, like, if Parker's the one with the kind of screwed-up conscious who's done a lot of things he's not necessarily sure about, it would make sense that years later, if he still survived all these crazy things, that he would just be sitting in his room playing Russian roulette by himself.
0: Um, okay, so then there's the the whole gas station bit, where yeah, he comes in. Yeah, they call paint. Yeah, they call painter. Uh, he comes in, uh, gets the drop on him with a gun, but fails. Um, gets stitched, gets a nice cut in the eye, uh, above the eye. So he then reveals to uh, Parker and Longbow who exactly they're dealing with. Um, that's where Longbow gets the idea of how much the how much the baby. Uh, is worth. So then they sent him back saying, okay, come back ready to induce labor. Saying like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, if you don't, she dies. If anything else happens, really she dies.
1: You don't really find out later why the doctor is so, uh, against inducing labor somewhere. Um, there's a personal reason why he doesn't do it. He makes a good point that babies should just happen in hospitals, but like, um there there's a personal reason why he's so against it that you don't find out till later. And it's after all of that that we meet Bagman for the first time bailing out the hitman.
0: Right. Um Okay, I remember the scene. I know how it goes I just can't remember the exact content of it. Um, it's basically okay. I work. It's it's his, it's his character introduction. Um, he works with he works with Chedick. He's his bag man, essentially. Yeah. And uh, don't mess with him because he's a survivor. Essentially, because Obex oh, with him. Right So So after the So This is where he uh, Makes the uh, $50 million ransom For the safe return Of Robin and the baby Um It's after this That Painter returns That uh Painter returns No Painter returns to Chittick We then get the ransom Um and then, it, then it's revealed that uh, Painter is Chittick's son. Yes. Layers. If Zach were awake, he'd be like, bum, bum, bum.
2: What? Oh. You've got it. I'm here, yay. Whatever. Uh, you guys <laughs> were so deep in the conversation, I was letting you talk. I appreciate it. You're welcome.
0: Okay. Okay. It's a lot about calls and demands for the, for the safe return of Robin and the baby. I
2: also, am like, I found that this movie's on YouTube right now, and I'm like, rewatching it it while we're talking about it. And I'm like, I I realize that we're like a little ahead of where the movie is. The
0: synopsis is <laughs> all over the place. Um, yes,
2: yeah. Yeah, really. it, it is all over the place. It's pretty bad. <laughs>
0: So, this is where the synopsis is. Longbow calls and demands $15 million ransom for the safe return, safe return of Robin and the baby. Then it goes to Jeffers and O'Bax, tempted by the money, begin forming a plan to save the child, keep the $15 million for themselves and kill everyone under the guise of paying off the kidnappers.
1: That happens like 10 minutes later.
0: What did I skip?
1: Um, they, the, the what, Mrs. Chittick, Sees the videotape and sees that it's an ultrasound, and she actually starts to connect with the idea of having a baby. Um, Longbow meets the bag man outside of the bar.
0: Right! They
1: start to have their conversation. Um, we find out that he's yep, that's in that here. Moment. That's um, in here. And they sort of like decide to have a cup of coffee in the bar. We don't see that scene yet. Also, right after that, uh, we find out that Jeffers, or Jeffrey's Tay Diggs basically, is having an affair with Mrs. Chittick. Um, she comes in and says, I want to have that baby. Give me that baby. Uh, I want. If the girl should die, so be it, but I want that baby now. Uh, and then Painter and his father have a conversation about a situation that happened with Painter in Baltimore that he had to leave and change his name for. They also talk about how his father is a terrible person how his actions have screwed up their relationship it's a lot about what parents there's a lot of themes about parents and children in this movie um, and that's kind of what that highlights a lot and then um, that's when uh, we break into the conversation at the bar and then the two the two security guards talk about how they want to actually let the situation pay out and how they wanted the girl to die but take the baby and again Mrs. Chittick on the sidelines, hears this conversation and lets it happen.
0: Right. Because <clears throat> she's like an all-seeing eye. Um, she, she is she's the most complicit because of how many times she either does affect things
1: or chooses not to affect things despite her knowledge.
0: Right. So as Long Bao hangs up the telephone outside a Mexican motel, he's approached by Sarno, who offers to pay $1 million if they surrender the pregnant Robin and simply walk away. Um, Sarno reveals to Longbow that his daughter has something in the works, promising to take care of the old man. Um, Again, that happens later. Yes. Longbow declines the offer and returns to his hotel room, where Parker and Robin are playing cards. Um, So Sarno then returns to Chittick's... No, he goes to... um,
1: a, a couple, a couple of things first. Um, the reason that he offers him the money, and De- Del Toro turns it down, is because Parker in the um, hotel room starts telling Robin that Soros is a bagman, that Del Toro used to be one, and that you can never trust a bagman ever. Which sort of explains a little bit why Longbow is shady to even his own partner. But it also sets up the conversation that happens uh, later between Soros and Del Toro in the copy, where he's like. Well, if you're not going to take it, you just understand one day I'm gonna, you're going to wake up, there's going to be a pillow over your face, and you're going to hear it pop. And I'm telling you right now, that's me. So that when the conversation ends and they go their separate ways and Del Toro still doesn't take that deal, uh, Sornos looks at him and he's like, well, till that day then. And then he goes into the back of the bar where Abner is already waiting for him.
0: Right. Um, and what do him and Abner talk about? That, 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 that flew over my head.
1: He, uh, Sornos tells Abner that he needs him to wait. We've, we've at that point heard him say that he's got to put a daughter with things in the work, and if you're smart, you can sort of put the pieces together about who the daughter is. Um, and Abner's like, let me go in, man. It's just two of them. I can kill them right now and get her out of this situation. But Sornos is like, no, 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 no. I need you to play this cool. I need you to be calm. I need you to stay here and watch them. So he's playing this entire situation safe, and that's what he's telling Abner to do. And that's when Del Toro goes back to the hotel, hears that uh, Parker and Robin are having kind of a fun, laughing conversation, and enters in uh, on his own. And before he gets in, you find out that they have a shotgun set up to kill anyone who walks in the door and turns the knob.
0: To wait till that comes back into play. It does. It does. Um. Reveals along with his daughter. Okay, hang on. I'm almost there. So Sarno then returns to Chidik's home to relay the events and plan the next step. Synopsis then goes. I mean, yeah,
1: that does, it does happen. Yeah, I guess.
0: Okay.
1: I mean, they have a whole conversation when they're playing hearts. And Robin reveals a big part of herself. I guess he's going to say that later, but yeah.
0: Um right. She reveals to them that the baby isn't hers. I uh, know it's not it's the not not the Chittix. It's
1: Yeah, the the Chittix egg did not take. So because she wanted the money, she um convinced Dr. Painter to have sex with her or give him Give her his sperm doesn't really know how that goes down my guess is she seduces him and uh based off of my guess their prior relationship of maybe knowing each other considering who their fathers are but she convinces painter to have the child with her so that she can get the money and my guess is because painter was already feeling horrible about a pregnancy mishap that happened in baltimore it was probably easy to convince him that creating life would be good
0: So. So Jeffers. So then the synopsis goes to Jefferson. Obex realize that Sarno is a wild card in this affair, and Jeffers comes to realize that Robin is Sarno's daughter. Um, what did I skip?
1: Yeah, Sarno's Sor- comes back and he tells them these guys are kind of amateur. They're like they're amateurs. They don't really know what they're doing. Um, and he wants to handle it with Abner. Um, and uh, Chittick is like no, no 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 I'm gonna have my bodyguards take care of this and do this my way and um, that's when the body you start to understand how the bodyguards are doing their own thing especially since Jeffers is having an affair with Chittick and uh, it, wife. is what tips them off but also even the doctor is like I don't know if I can do this and Sornos is like you're gonna do it you're gonna go get you're gonna go get that baby you're gonna induce it you're gonna get that baby out and everything's gonna be fine and that's when you really understand that Robin is Sornos' daughter. That's when the bodyguards just figure that out on their own and decide to do their own plan.
0: Oh my gosh, I skipped everything.
1: Yeah, this this synopsis sucks.
0: Yeah, okay. So I'm glad we're filling in the blanks though
1: a lot of it has to do with the fact that i have that i have the movie in front of me but also right. i've seen it a lot
0: then the synopsis says next sentence jeffer's obex and painter leave to meet with the kidnappers i know a lot happens I mean, between do, that and now
1: they they do leave to go meet the kidnappers then sure but like yeah the oh wait that a minute is the, it, the conversation between Lon and Parker outside the hospital
0: the this, hotel door. Okay, so this synopsis does cover the bases, although albeit not detailed. But it, it they're trying to tell it in a linear way, where this movie does not happen very linear. In a very, it doesn't I happen.
1: This movie. This movie is linear. The problem that I'll give it is that the more interesting stuff that is happening in this movie is happening between. Parker, Longbow, and Robin—that's where the—that's where the real interesting stuff is happening. Even the action, um, and it's really boring to go from that to the Chitticks' house and hear them plan stuff out. Mostly because the how the the way it's shot, the way there's no music in the house, the way that people are talking, the kind of like uh, M Night Shyamalan tone that they have about everything—it's so quiet, it's so um, calm. It's just kind of uninteresting when you compare it to the interesting Western uh, like Funs vibe that's happening with and Parker Like that's way more interesting than whatever is happening at the Chittix and they keep bouncing back and forth and That bouncing back and forth makes it seem like it's nonlinear, but really it's just jarring. That's all it really is Everything is happening fluidly. Nothing is jumping in terms of time or or linear nature it's narratively happening appropriately to what's going on. It's just you have interesting stuff, and then you have boring stuff. It's, the boring stuff matters, and it involves character, but it's shot and executed in a way that's just nothing compared to what's happening on the other side of the story.
0: So... Well, so okay, so...
1: The, ne- the next scene
0: that happens is the sh- Parker... Is when
1: Longbow is waiting for Parker outside the hotel room, and they make the mistake of leaving Robin alone in that room with a shotgun. But Parker, like Longbow, can sense that there's a relationship happening between Robin and him, and he starts to call. He, he doesn't even say anything. Parker just knows that Longbow has this sort of like uh, he's noticing it. So Parker looks at him and he tells them this long monologue about one of the first hits that he ever did uh that a guy a lawyer paid him to kill someone that uh, had molested his child he talks about how he found the guy surrounded by pictures of kids that it was worse and he's about to kill this guy before the guy starts praying he still does it but when he prays it just made Long. It just made Parker think. Like, you could do some of the worst things in the world, but what are you gonna say when you see God? And now he says every night before he goes to bed, he says that prayer because he can't get that question out of his head. Considering the things that he's done himself, what is he gonna say when he sees God? And Longbow, just kind of, in for for his quick moment, is like, I don't trust that this guy is gonna follow through and get the $15 million with me. And so he tricks him and tells him that he wants to go get, uh, his jacket in the room. When he sees Robin in the window, get up and go for the shotgun. Uh, he tells him that he forgot his coat and Parker's like, I'll go get it. And he walks towards the door. And in a split second, long bows like, I can't do it. And he moves Ryan Philippi out of the way of the door right before Juliet Lewis blows it away. And with the shotgun, you know, the shotgun. And, uh, Parker sees Longbow's jacket on the van, knows that he's lied to him again and pulls a gun up to his face. And Longbow says one of my favorite lines of the movie. He goes, you know what I'm going to say to God when I see him? That I was framed. I love that.
0: You know, when I think about it, that was a pretty good line.
1: Uh, so so they they take stock of the situation they understand that there's a pregnant kidnapped woman in their hotel room with calling the cops with one shotgun and shell decide, uh, and uh, they decide to get their heads in the game and they try to deci- they try to get her out and they try to figure out the situation and uh, they're kind of stuck there and it's uh, in that moment that Robin, Uh, you see how much money, you go back to the Chittagix again, and you see how much money that they're actually bringing. It's like suitcases and suitcases of money, like the actual $100 bills of $15 million. It's a lot lot of money. And they've got it, and they're going to bring it to the meetup. And right after that, um, Robin has called the cops, and they start to show up. And Longbow and Parker leave. You don't know where they go, but they leave. And in that moment, Robin meets up with the Mexican cops. Which right. I don't know
0: whether the synopsis is at that point. So, here's the thing. Um, so they're waiting outside the uh, the hotel room after she's blown the door, blown a giant hole in the door.
2: She's like, "I can do this all day."
0: And he's like. Yeah, Um, that kind lost me. Um, But there was one part where, like, okay, so they're so they're leaving. He does so. Parker does this weird hand gesture to uh, Longbow. It turns out they. I thought Longbow got in the van and left because they only show him getting in the van. So I thought Parker was waiting around the corner. And when she stepped, they and when she show was gonna. Robin
1: noticing them. So she sees that they make sure to have Robin notice that they leave.
0: Right. But the camera does it so weird that it only shows Longbow leaving. I only remember seeing Longbow leaving in the van. That, I didn't see Parker being in the van. Inside,
1: that, that's because the camera is inside the hotel and it's looking through the hole that she has blown through it. And the only thing that you could see is his jacket on the mirror. So that see that shot is shot that way to let you know that Robin is seeing them leave.
0: Okay. So, turns out I was wrong.
1: That makes okay. That makes her feel okay enough to walk out because the reason they leave is they can see they can hear the cop sirens, right. the police sirens. So, once they leave, she walks out and meets the cops.
0: So, the cops come she meets with them, but so does Jeffers Obex and Painter.
1: Sornos is not
0: there. Sarno Sor- is not Sarno is not there.
1: He is there with uh, Chittick. Right. It was, he suggested when they were planning this deal that the bodyguards stay with Chittick, and he goes to figure this out with Abner. But they decide to go the other way around, send the bodyguards, and have uh, um, Sornos stay with Chittick. With so the money. And it isn't until things go bad that he decides to investigate and figure out what happened. It's also, uh, it's also assumedly that Starnos is, at this time, gathering all of the men that would end up being in the shootout towards the end of the movie.
0: So as the uh, Painter and the bodyguards try to persuade Robin to leave with them, the officers pull their guns and order everybody on the ground. Suddenly, Parker and Longbow open fire from a nearby hilltop igniting a fierce firefight that kills the two officers before Jeffers shoves Painter and Robin into his car and drives off, leaving the dead officers and a wounded Obex in the motel parking lot.
1: You see a lot of the shots through the scope of the sniper. Right. And you see see Abner get shot at, but you don't know whether he's been wounded. He grabs a cop car and he drives off. You're right, Jeff Jeffrey's um grabs the doctor and Rob and drives off himself. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: after seeing after seeing Obex on the ground unconscious. Shot,
1: guard shot, don't really know whether you think he's dead. Right. He's crawling on the ground after the entire thing is done, and then Longbow and Parker come and pick him up. Um, he's got holes in him. Do, when they do, the the patrons of the bar are just watching this shit happen. Yep. They just watch it
0: and walk right back in. Yep. I didn't know any of them. <laughs> so, it then goes to Parker and Longbow torturing the wounded Obex to gain Robin's location, which was probably one of the most brutal things I've ever seen.
1: Um, it... Okay. That happens, that, that. I mean... At, yeah, that does happen, but basically you also find out that Jeffreys is not... Actually, wait, wait, wait. Before that happens, you find out that Jeffries is not taking them to the Chittix. He's taking them to the yeah. meeting place, the top-off of the money, mm-hmm. which is weird. And yep. you don't know why he's doing that. They don't know why he's doing that, but he knows that he wants to put it in a situation where the woman and the doctor can be killed. And then he can just take the baby. Um, and then you all that's when you also see the scene where sornos is gathered his men and decides to go find abner and abner um dies in the cop car
0: because he got hit um
1: he got hit. yeah um that that to me watching it this time now that was the most i started to understand how they were like Longbow and parker especially when um he looks at him and he's like uh, can i ask you one last favor and sornos is like yes and he goes i kind of want to do this alone <laughs> <laughs> and so this is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll let you die alone, and, and he leaves his friend alone to die, and that's when they torture uh, Nicky Cats. And uh, yes, it's not it's not visually grisly. They've just taken him with barbed wire, and are stretching him with a um, kind of lever, uh, and he just looks him in the face, and he goes, "I'm going to cut off some things, and then I'm going to slice your eyeballs. And if you don't tell us what we want to know, I'm going to continuously pour." gasoline in your eyes to keep you from passing out as I torture you. And he asks him again, do you know where they're going? He says no, and then they crank him and uh, start separating him in a really cool shot of the sun going down as they're cranking and separating him. It's not not visually grisly, it's just the idea of what's going on is pretty gruesome.
0: Like, he was like um a hammock. Except
1: Yes, he, looked, he was being stretched like a
0: handpick. It was. But with barbed wire around his hands, and his legs, assume, uh, presumably. Yeah. It just... Oh, God.
1: It's pretty crazy.
0: While he was bleeding... While he was, like, bleeding profusely from bullets. From bullet At holes. two shots, yeah. Yeah. Oh, whoops. Grab that. <clears throat> um. Uh, uh, and that's
1: when I cut... T- this is what I think is pretty jarring. I feel like there's a scene that we've missed, but it immediately cuts to, uh, Robin walking down the hallway of the hotel, bleeding and crying and asking for help. Like, we don't know how they got there, Well, we know how they got there, but we don't know when they got there, or what the setup was, or where anyone is, or how they've established that they're okay in this hotel. I thought it was a dream. You just kind of cut to what's happening.
0: Honestly, when I first saw it, I thought it was a dream, so.
1: No, that's fair enough. It, it, has that jarring effect to it. Yeah. I, I feel like there was something cut.
0: So, they're torturing. So, yeah, the synopsis says that they were torturing Obex to gain Robin's location while Jeffers confines Robin in a room of a secluded Mexican brothel. I thought it was a hotel. They didn't mention it was a brothel.
1: It, it's a brothel. It is a brothel.
0: Okay. I guess I should have looked at the clues. Um, now that I think about it, I can see <laughs> it being a brothel. Yep, it's, it was definitely a brothel. It yeah, was a brothel.
1: how Robin got away from wherever they had her, and she's walking down the hallway. Oh, she's wait a minute! Asking for help, but the prostitutes won't help her, and the owner of the brothel grabs her and drags her back to the room where uh, the doctor and Jeffries are planning to induce. I and the owner is like, "I'm not rich enough for this. You need to get her out of here. I can't have a screaming pregnant woman, and in my brothel." And Jeffries just hands him a lot of cash, and he's like, "Do this." Um, and that's, yeah, that's when Longbow and Parker show up and realize, um, that they have to shoot their way out of this.
0: Okay. No, no. Okay. So I know why I didn't think it was a brothel because the owner said that it was a hotel and I, it's, it sounded like he said hotel. I heard hotel. I,
1: I think he said, it, I think it's fronted as a hotel. I think he calls it a hotel and maybe every now and then he'll have people come in and use it, use the hotel. Like people use. A motel eight, but then there are also just some hotels in certain areas and motels in certain areas that give people rooms for the night. So that I think this place may have started as a hotel, but just kind of turned into a brothel by accident. That he still eventually calls it a motel, especially if the like cops are around. But it's basically a brothel.
0: Okay. Uh, fair. Certainly enough.
1: his connections with Shittick means that he has connections with the mob. Meaning that it, he's probably not even just owning a brothel. He's just probably a dirty guy who owns a place where dirty business happens.
0: So, <clears throat> so they confine her to her room, but it didn't work. But because she's wandering around, so they bring her back to the room and painter examines her and says, okay, I need to give her a C-section because she's bleeding internally. And there's probably no way to do this the normal way. Um, so they, let, so they load her up on some numbers and they, he just gets to work. And then, so then,
1: well, actually she, she screams out to Jeffries that it's their baby that it's her and painter's baby. And right. And Jeffries is like very quietly leans up to her and goes, I hope you're comfortable Robin, because we're going to take your baby now. It's really creepy.
0: God Almighty. Um, So, oh yeah, this is yeah. Despite Robin's confession that the child was conceived between her and Painter, and is not Chitix. Okay. So during the operation, the heavily armed Parker and Longbow infiltrate the brothel and search for Robin. They also ask all the prostitutes to clear out. They just walk in with a shotgun and an assault rifle. He's like, they just all run out. Uh,
1: As they run out. Benicio del Toro. Slapped, <laughs> uh, of the That's right. Uh, it's in all the trailers. It's, it's, a, it's a good moment in the movie, but it turns out that McGuire, M- yeah, McGuire asked Benicio del Toro to do it and then told him not to tell the actress. And so del Toro was hesitant. He didn't necessarily want to do it, but he did it. And like he thought the actress got really upset and he immediately looked at her and was like, the director told me to do it. He told me. And to be honest, like, I I get the moment and I think it works for the character, but the, the camera is not focused on the actress. In fact, the actress, her face is gone. You just see her backside as she runs with all the other prostitutes. So it's not really focused on her or could even capture her reaction if he wanted to. So I don't understand why he didn't tell her. Like, it, just tell the actress and then let Del Toro do it, but... Because everything's focused in on him, so it's a really weird moment. Like, I don't know what he necessarily assumed he would have gotten from her, but when you look at the shot, like, he's just a creepy guy. Back to the camera, so, like, you don't get her response at all. Scientology!
2: I mean, I don't know if that's an explanation for Scientology. Maybe, you know, McQueen's just I'm a creepy kidding. guy at the time, but. Yeah, I don't know if
1: McQuarrie is a Scientologist. I haven't looked into it, but I don't, I don't think he is. I think he works with Tom Cruise, but I don't think he's a Scientologist.
0: Ah, well. It was brought up before. It was brought up before, and I just.
1: Very clear that he'll work with whoever he thinks would be best for a project. He'll look at something or someone's work and be like, "I want to work with this person," but it's not necessarily geared towards uh, Scientology. Now, John Travolta, on the other hand, will totally pull that, and that's how Battlefield Earth got made but like Tom Cruise understands that he'll work with whoever he thinks is best for a project. Sometimes it doesn't work out like the mummy, uh, like with the mummy with Alex Kurtzman, who like has written popular stuff, but I don't think is a good writer and why he picked him for a first time director is just beyond me. But then other times he picks people that um, he can see their talent and know how knows how they work. <clears throat> That's why he's made two really good films with Doug Lyman.
0: So, the ensuing ambush that leaves Parker wounded turns into another standoff. Where Jeffers, is they're in the room. They, 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 they go around. They're just pumping bullets everywhere, but they're in the room where uh, Robin is. Jeffers gets behind. Oh yeah, Jeffers accidentally shoots the the um, the Bro- brothel owner. The brothel owner, after he shoots at him out of instinct. But just instinctively, doesn't even aim, just puts two in his chest, and then he's dead in seconds. Yep. Um, so they're all in the room. Jeffers gets behind Painter as he's doing the C-section, which I thought was like, whoa, okay. Uh, his hand is that in her stomach. Um, so, this is a standoff. It's probably going to end badly. Then painter reaches into his bag, pulls the gun, shoots Jeffers in the neck, and just a gratuitous amount amount of blood just starts pouring out of his neck. And I literally was just like, "Whoa, okay, whoa." Yeah, he hit
1: that, an artery of some
0: sort. Yeah, he's just like, and the way he took it too, he's just like, like he, it looked like he it looked like Jeffers was in shock as he went down. He just like his expression didn't change at all. He just held his neck. It just went down and then just slowly died.
1: There's an interesting part in the interview with McGrady where he talks about how he didn't really cast Tay Diggs with the idea that he's a a black actor in this role. And he didn't write the characters in The Usual Suspects with their races in mind. In fact, a lot of them are really kind of against the names of their characters in terms of race. But the reason he uh, cast Tay Diggs is because of how handsome he is a handsome bodyguard would totally have an affair with a married woman. Also, it just makes it more chilling when he uh, kind of makes the evil turn towards the end of the movie, making kind of the crappy decisions of taking her baby and telling her and hiding behind the doctor as he's having surgery with her. Um, it, it, but I also think that Tay Diggs, although very good in a lot of roles, um, he also has um, kind of this... Bland affectation about him when he plays serious stuff and um, sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't I think in this case um, it doesn't work with any of the actors when they do it um, but when he, like when he's on the phone and he's pretending to be upset about the money I think that stuff's really fun but when he dies it really works because I think he is in shock but I also think that there's as he's slowly dying I think there's this this sort of release that's happening where he's like I'm just I feel sleepy. What happened? What just happened? I feel sleepy. Oh, I'm really sleepy right now. And he just kind of goes to sleep because the blood is rushing out so quickly and it happened so fast that he just really didn't understand what was going on. Um, I really like that. It's unsettling, especially with all the blood, but it is really <clears throat> kind of unsettling.
0: Um, okay, so that happens. Um. Then painter kind of goes into shock himself, where he just like has like a thousand yard stare, just staring at Longbow. He's just like, just goes blank. Like he washes his hands with the uh, alcohol, and he just goes blank for like a good twenty seconds. And Longbow's like, "Hey, get come back," <laughs> and he's just like, "Well," and he continues the the operation. Um, so then, I think, it is it at this point? No, it was earlier, while they were still... It was before this point. So before all that happened, Sarno arrives uh, with a group of uh, bag men and the $15 million ransom, which they stack in the courtyard center right in front of the fountain that's dormant. Um, so Parker wants to kidnap... Uh, Robin and Painter again, to which Longbow, guilt-ridden after...
1: Well, it's, not, it's not necessarily that he says that. He's just back in the mode of, I'm I'm with her. We're going for the money. This is what's going on. And Longbow, yeah, is just kind of like, been wounded. He's sitting there. And he, first of all, notices Robin laying there, uh, drugged up. And all she can say without really finishing the sentence is, can I see my I wanna see my can I see my I wanna see my baby? And as she's saying that, that's when Longbow just kind of like goes She's had enough, man. We're we're done. We, we we should just go. Um they don't even know the money's there. They just are like, uh we we've done too much to this girl. We just need to go. And uh that's when they realize that the bagmen are there the moment they walk out they they get more gunfights with more bagmen yep and then they go down to the bar have a few drinks and notice that the money's there waiting for them
0: so then there's uh there's a thing about mouse traps they said something about mouse traps and then the then the gun then they go in just
1: there's like a, there's always cheese in the mouse trap
0: yep Looks all and clear. He
1: looks at him. And he's like, "What want to?" He looks at Parker and he's like, "What do you want to do?" And Parker's like, "A plan is just a list of things that don't happen."
0: Then they just go and just.
1: Then one of the best shootouts in the end of a movie happens, like a really, really well done shootout. Like, yeah, this is pretty good. time, I watched it a couple times. I was like, I did not realize how well done, and how interestingly shot and edited this shootout is for a first time director.
0: So, it's just a great shootout. So, there's also a bit where, like, Uh um, so they're all, so they're pretty much holding their own until Parker, um, dodging gunfire, dives into the fountain, except it's not water. It's broken bottles and Coke cans. Yep. And so his left arm is just full of shards of glass.
1: It's gr- it's and, he,
0: and he's horrified.
1: He is horrified. He has to slowly pull a piece out of his arm. It's grisly and it gets me every time. But, like, it's it's it looks like it hurts.
0: I just, I just, I like the idea of this guy has killed people. He sees very unruly things and yet he's horrified by the sight of glass stuck in his own arm.
1: Not only that, like, right before that happened, he shotgunned a guy in the dick. <laughs> that was...
0: <laughs> that like, did happen. It was like a
1: squib in the guy's crotch. Like, he shoots an old man right in the dick.
0: That, for the actor, had to have, like, hurt. Like, for real. Had he had to have felt that. He had to have felt that.
1: small explosion in your crotch, that would stink. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, after this intense gunfight, all of Sarno's men are killed. Um, however, Sarno manages to shoot and cripple the already wounded Parker as he's dragging the cash away. Um, but he only shoots him. He only shoots him. He only shoots him in the leg. He only shoots him in the legs.
1: Both of them, but yeah, like Parker tries to go for just one bag. There's like four of them. He right. tries to grab one bag and as he's walking. Away, Probably all he cat, can carry. Sarno twice in the leg. And then um, uh, Longbow tries to drag Parker away with the money. And Sornos just comes up behind him. And as a reference to something that happened earlier in the movie, um, Parker notices that he's behind him, grabs a gun, turns around, and doesn't fire. He just shows them that his gun is empty. And Sornos just shoots it like four times in his legs.
0: Um... So, after that... Um, uh, Sarno calls for an ambulance. As uh, a child cries, breaks the silence. Um, Painter emerges with Robin, the newborn baby in her arms. Lying in a pool of blood, Parker and Longbow call out to Sarno, informing him that the baby is, in fact, Robert, Robin and... Robert, Robin and Painter's... And thus, Sarno's own grandson. Um, Painter wonders... Allowed if this fact will influence uh, Sarno to let them keep the child. Roba and her baby are taken away in the ambulance with Painter Sarno and the fifteen million, leaving Parker and Longbow to bleed out.
1: Actually, I want I want to point out okay. that it's Longbow that tells Sarno that it's their baby, and then he also tells him you should keep them. Like you know a family when you see it. Uh, he Right before he's about to pretty much bleed out in the middle of the desert, he makes a moral argument for this entire situation for the most innocent people to leave. To leave unharmed, to leave unscathed, to leave with their family intact. It's doesn't at all fix or, I guess, balance out anything else they've done in this movie, but it is... It's just one, – it's one of my favorite things about there's no good or bad people. There's just people who can do good or bad things. It doesn't define who they are, but they are capable of doing it. Long is a pretty crappy person sometimes, but he is capable of seeing the morality of the situation, making an argument for it, and convincing this person that it's the right thing to do.
0: So, um... So, Robin and her baby are taken away in the ambulance with Painter and... Painter, Sarno, and the $15 million, Leaving Parker and Longbow to bleed out. As the monologue about, um... How, what they're gonna say when they see God. Um... Then, just... The wildest end credit scene I've ever seen. Miles away, and days later... Chick's wife reveals that she's pregnant.
2: Wow! None of it mattered.
0: Drop my jaw! I'm just like, wow. So, there you go. Way of the gun.
2: Yay.
1: yeah it's re- it's really interesting because it's not just that uh, it it isn't that nothing mattered so much as so many people died so many things happened people did make decisions ahead that way but her decision to uh go with a to to make this girl like carry her child um have an affair let all of these things happen that allow people to die. Like she hears so many occasions where she could step in and fix things, but doesn't because she wants what she wants. And then at the end of the day, she still gets pregnant, like accidentally, with a baby that's probably not even her husband, a guy who was is well-known for being violent and uh, pretty aggressive about his stance on revenge. So, yes, a lot of people died for something that really didn't necessarily matter, but also so did the father of her child. As well as what's going to happen to her and her child when the father realizes that it's not his.
2: Yeah. So
1: she regardless of all these things happening, she's not only is responsible but in a way punished.
0: So with all that being said, upon my first viewing of Way of the Gun, B.
1: So you're gonna you're saying now that it's a B, not not before we talked about it.
0: Well, when and we I'm not
1: saying that as a judgment. I think B is pretty pretty good. To be honest, I think um, yeah, I would say B, maybe B minus. Like talking with you and seeing it now and noticing the the difference between when they're with Longbow and Parker and when they're with the Chitticks, the problems that are there. I think this movie's overwritten sometimes with its philosophical moments and its dialogue i think it's a little overwritten you can kind of tell that there was a writer there but i think the biggest problems have to do with how the chitik scenes are executed not necessarily the content of them there's a lot of mystery in there that doesn't need to be withheld that i think does really it, it benefits on rewatches but it only benefits on rewatches if you understand well enough that everyone is responsible and could like that everyone, that, that everyone is culpable. Like, everything happened because everyone made poor decisions, especially one person. But overall, I would say, yeah, bi am going to go with B, with you. I think so, like the shootout is great. There there's some excellent set pieces in this movie, and I really love Del Toro. And for a first-time director to pull this off with a lot of the content, uh, I, I think it's above average for sure.
0: So the thing was with... Cause the th- same thing happened with Reservoir Dogs, where I'm just like, okay, I gave it this grade. I think you guys thought it was pretty low, and you you told me to you told me I'm probably gonna have to see it again to fully appreciate it. So upon this first viewing, I'm gonna say pending any further viewings that I may have. Uh, as of right now, I'm at a B.
1: Yeah, I think it, I think a B is really good. Um, I think Reservoir Dogs, for a first feature, and you not really knowing anything about his work or necessarily spending a lot of time with '90s art house in general, and, ne- and not even really understanding the impact of that movie in general, um, we kind of figured it was a little low. But I also just think that's a movie that has more meat to it than this one does. Um I think every I think the meat in this movie is up front. It's just told to in a really kind of mysterious way. It's it would be almost like you looked at someone and you're like, have you, do you like uh, like if someone was um god what what's the a valet. Like you looked at a valet and was like, um, where did you park my car? And they're like, in a lot with cars next to two colors that are dark in their soul and you're like, Uh, can't you just tell me where oh, it's between those two black cars. Thanks. And then you just go to your car. It's like he gives you the right information, but he tells you in a way that's kind of like um, frustratingly mysterious. Like nobody would just look at each other and talk to them, to each other this way. They wouldn't be so withholding. But I also think that everything that happens and everyone that's in it is important and has an impact and has a reason for existing um, to a certain extent.
0: Zach, you're great.
2: Um. Hmm. I mean, I I would say a B or a B minus. It, it's it's right up there with that.
0: Okay, so we're all in the same ballpark. So yeah, way of the gun. That was yeah. That was pretty interesting. All right. Time to spin the bad wheel. Yay!
2: Nice, no, I'm for it. Alright, let's do it. Okay. Wait, wait, we have to decide what we're replacing. it. What, what are we
0: first. replacing this next one with?
2: Alright, I have a suggestion. Okay. Assassin's Creed.
0: Video game movie. Yeah. Ooh, I
2: hear that one's pretty bad. Yeah.
0: I'm a fan of the franchise, so I'm going to get double pissed about it, too. I bet.
2: Yeah! <laughs> I'm a huge fan of
1: the franchise, so, like, it was a... It, it... Uh, I haven't seen it, so it would work for me, but there's... My suggestion would be, and I think Chris might be for it, it's uh, a Christian film that they put out last year called image oh, no. Jamma. Have you heard about it at all? No. It It's not overtly Christian, uh, but it's about a basketball player that they made an actor for this movie, and uh, he goes to jail and then comes back to his town... And he just tries to live his life. But then to save money for his sick mom, he joins a slam dunk competition. So really, like, I hear 50% of this movie is just slam dunks. Like, not even, like, dribbling or basketball at all. It's just dunking. But I also hear it's, like, pretty entertainingly bad. And I figured since we put Dogma on the good movie list, because Dogma's awesome, um, I wanted to put a Faith movie on there that was bad, but not necessarily making fun of Faith. I don't want to make fun of it for its faith. I want to make fun of it because it's a, a poorly constructed movie that has a bunch of slam dunks in it.
0: So, that actually reminded me of that movie that I mentioned on the podcast way, way back. Surfer Teen Confronts Fear.
2: I don't remember this one. Which one was it?
0: Surfer Teen Confronts Fear. The one where the one where I talked about how uh this teen is afraid to surf after an accident and his dead dad comes back monologues about like monologues about like stories from the Bible, and then like he then feels so much emotion he starts vomiting black liquid like a s like a like a squid. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, it gets very David Lynch very quick. No, I remember that trailer. Uh, if it's available, <laughs> then yes, I would totally watch that movie.
0: Um, I'm trying know. to figure it out. I don't think it is.
1: Like the moment it is, we're we're putting it on the list and/or doing it. But, uh, <laughs> you No, know, that, that trailer has not left my mind. Trust me.
0: Hold on, I think I'm, I'm trying to find it. Sir 13 confronts fear. I found the I found the website. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you have a bad one that you want to put on the list at all?
0: Uh, ready to rumble.
1: Oh, you're still going for that. Okay, bad movie wheel. Um, I, I feel bad that you uh, want to put it on there because you like it, and uh, I don't. But I like the idea of it. Wheel, and that gives me a little bit of a leeway to be kind of an asshole about it. Uh, then yes, I, I, I will put it on that wheel, and I will also try not to be a jerk about a movie that you love. Or, or used to love, maybe. I don't know. It may be another Sahara situation.
0: No, it's not, Okay, okay. Let me explain this real quick. Let me explain this real quick. It's not that I've seen it, but I've heard so many stories about it. Like, a YouTuber that I watch, uh, Wrestling With Regret, did a video on it, and it gave me an idea, okay, we need to watch this.
1: Oh, so you're not really approaching it with, because last time you wanted to do it, you wanted to do it on the Goodwill.
0: No, I did not do I didn't want to do it on the good wheel. No, I said the bad wheel. Huh. I said the bad wheel. I
1: guess I remember it wrong. But yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Uh, I think that Assassin's Creed um, and that are a better matchup for a coin toss or a wheel spin than mine. But if you want to do another, if you want to do the roulette wheel and you can put three on there, that's fine. Or if you want to do a coin toss, uh, I'll take Assassin's Creed versus uh, Ready to Rumble.
0: Um. Wait. What was your suggest- oh yeah the 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 slam dunk kid. Um. Okay. We're gonna flip a coin.
1: Okay. Uh, all right. Then I'll take mine out of the running, and we'll do Assassin's Creed and Ready to Run. We'll put we'll put
0: yours in the back burner. How about that?
1: Fair, fair enough. I just think I think either one of those would be more interesting. I don't know anything about Assassin's Creed, but I hear that movie is constructed terribly. Uh. And then um. uh I, I think Ready to Rumble, to hear you talk about wrestling, is going to be interesting. Heads? Because I used to love wrestling.
0: So Heads, um, I'm going to be fair. Heads um, is uh, is going to be, jeez, um, oh, Zach, what was your thing again? Assassin's,
2: Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed, right. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Um, heads, Assassin's Creed, Tails, Ready to Rumble. Heads, Assassin's Creed. Okay. Dang it. (laughs) Backburner.
2: That's life.
0: Backburner. I was fair. I was fair. Yeah. Okay. Wait, why did I why did I put that down? Okay, let me bring it bring it back. Okay, so the movies that are on the bad wheel as of right now. The Last Airbender. (laughs) A movie called Toys. Oh god, yes. <laughs> the Star Wars holiday special. Ooh. It's on a YouTube.
2: Rough one.
0: <laughs> uh, the Wicker Man.
2: Yeah. Was remember seeing Apostle having recently come out.
0: I've seen the ending to The Wicker Man, and it freaked there's me out as a kid. The first one,
2: right? Not yes. the 90s
0: one. Yes. Yes.
1: No, the seventies the one actually. The seventies one is actually a genuinely interesting atmospheric movie that ends horrifically, but um the, the the Nicolas Cage one is weird. It it's it's weird and then it just goes insane at the end.
0: Norm of the North. Um, Troll Two to which there is no Troll One. Yep. Fant4Stick, the Fantastic Four movie from 2015.
1: Yeah. Super. Now that's an insufferably boring movie. Yes,
0: it is. The Book of Henry. Which I really want to see. I want to see how much of a disaster that is. Um, yeah,
1: I still haven't seen it yet. That in, in, in terms of being bad, I hear it's just filled with baffling decisions that are matched with an uh, awkward and... Um, just bad tone.
0: David Ayer's most recent uh, Netflix movie, Bright.
2: Oh, oh yeah. I forgot about Bright. I know, right? It's been still on. Ne- I gotta check if it's even still on Netflix. Me a it's note. a Netflix
0: exclusive. It should still be on there. Yeah, but they, they rotate everything so often. They take everything off a lot. I see. It's, 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 it's,
2: I'll check. I, I don't think so. they're gonna ever take it off, especially since they've greenlit a second one. Yeah. Yep, sure. it's still on Netflix
0: plan 9 from outer space.
2: Ugh oh, I
0: love I which love Chris Stuckman just did a hilariousity review on it. And now I'm like, "Oh god, Zach, what have you done? If we land on this, oh, I will I will never forgive wonderful.
2: you." Oh, we get it, to talk is, about Ed Wood, dude. We get to talk about Ed Wood, the greatest hero of the movie godfathers of, of entertaining bad movies.
1: Yeah. It, it needs to be it it, it it needs to be seen to believe the more old movies you see the more you understand just how poorly constructed it is but um I, I'm also thinking one day I may want to suggest Ed Wood on the good movie wheel so it'd be nice to see one of his movies and then understand a little bit of how his mind worked as an artist uh, and just to see Johnny Depp in a good performance but uh, I, I think it needs to be on that wheel. I think you need to understand what what one of the first so-bad-it's-good movies was. Like a, a lot of reasons that people love bad movies these days, like The Room or um, uh, uh, Fateful Findings or something like that, it's, it's the passion of an artist who doesn't know what they're doing. And the <laughs> decisions are absolutely wrong-headed in terms of storytelling and execution. But their passion uh, absolutely translates whatever their whatever their love of what they were doing comes across on film and you find something that is entertaining edward was one of those people who just didn't care about how things looked he just cared about getting the content across so when if he wanted to take two paper plates and spray paint them and then put dots on them so they look like flying saucers on strings and someone points that out, and they're like, they look like two paper plates glued together on, on strings. And he's like, they're flying saucers. It's a movie. People will go with it. No, they won't. <laughs> they'll see the cheapness, and they'll laugh. But the, over time, people have looked at it and been like, there's an energy in there from a guy who got movies made.
2: He and, put and, his and movies and, and in theaters, know, he, and, he and thought they what? were good. Sorry, Alex, to interrupt. The limelight of but, Ed, Ed, yeah. Ed Wood. To give you a brief explanation here, Chris, the only thing Edward ever wanted to be was a famous filmmaker, and I think he ended up achieving his dream in the end, because he is famous. He's just famous for being the worst filmmaker ever made, <laughs> ever born. He,
1: <laughs> he is a name that we all know, and and he is synonymous. He is famous, not necessarily for the way he thought he was going to be famous, but he is a famous filmmaker uh, for sure. He, if he was if he if he was alive today and could see the way that people, especially someone like me, loves david lynch and david lynch has taken a lot of stuff from him and um turned it into something different like eraser head would not exist if not for glenn or glenda or a lot of uh edward's output and it's because Ed Wood would kind of wrong-headedly create these very odd moments and timing and editing that for lynch he sort of wove into his own pattern so he can take a moment that seems awkward at first and write it to its and um, to the proper end so using it in a way that goes from awkward to interesting again and then turns it on its head he knows how to do that Ed Wood would just do that accidentally but instead of turning it on his head he would do it to the point where you're like oh well this is just awkward
2: I think if Ed Wood was alive today to see <clears throat> what influences he ended up having on society I think he'd be very proud of his work and I think he'd be very happy with certainly certainly for or glenda
1: like without without being like or glenda is a movie about um transsexuality and um being a transvestite and uh, although it's a little bit wrong-headed it's also coming from someone who was a transvestite and wanted to get people to understand that that person was a person that they weren't a monster they weren't wrong they weren't like psychologically broken that there are people who do things that are weird And all they're looking for is for other people to understand that they're a human, too, and that this is what they are. Uh, So Glenn or Glenda, no matter how poorly made that movie is and wrongheaded some of those decisions are, it has a very important theme that was way ahead of its time that even now is um, still an effective film for someone who doesn't know how to deal with the confusing feelings of being a transvestite or, or feeling like the opposite sex.
2: Yes.
0: that
2: so from
1: There's outer space. It's about understanding who you are, not hiding it and sharing it with somebody and, and that you have a relationship and a connection with and opening up to people about who you are as a person. And regardless of like it being a really weird movie, that theme is universal and uh, eternal. And he at least made one movie that people can be affected by the way that he actually wanted them to. And I at least give him that credit for sure.
0: Plan nine from outer space.
2: <laughs> and what? Plan nine from outer space. Oh, plan nine from outer
1: space. Just Ed Wood in general. Like he is. He is. We should be talking about him when we talk about the bad wheel. He's the godfather of it.
0: Yeah. Miami Connection.
1: <laughs> so much fun. The, so bad.
0: The Last Action Hero.
2: Oh
1: God! Last Action Hero is on there. Yes. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't remember us putting that on there to be. Yeah, that's I kind of love that movie. Okay, I think I suggested it maybe, but it is a bad movie. It's not a great movie. I just it, it's my childhood.
0: Howard, so- Howard the Duck, Ugh. which would be so um, timely.
1: Such a gross movie.
0: Catwoman, Halle Berry's Catwoman.
1: Ew. I don't think I've ever seen that, but I've heard so many things about how bad it is. Is actually bits of it that I've never watched beginning to end.
0: Um, and then finally, Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Okay, oh, which, which I think is going to be... Oof, I haven't seen that in a long time, but it's, it's bad. Jeremy Irons goes insane. Yeah.
0: Literally. Are you guys ready? I'm nervous. We have to do another bad hey. movie after this. And then we spin the series wheel again.
1: That's right. Yep.
0: All right, here we go. Sounds like a drum roll this time.
1: Being performed by an unzipped zipper. Yep. Yeah.
0: Oh, what's it gonna be. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Either Plan 9 or Star Wars.
0: Get your winter caps on. Our next movie is Norm of the North.
2: (laughs) Oh, God. you guessed that. Couldn't have guessed it. That's crazy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ironically, I think most of that movie is not set in the North Pole. I think he goes to the city.
0: Yeah. assassin's creed is going on there there it goes
2: Chris, you just gave me nightmares of working back at man when i worked at man's theaters and like half the time i worked there Norma the north was there and i remember people still going to it and i'm like why it's,
0: it's not- winter it's winter
2: it's- no it's not even worth the time it's, it's- not winter it's fall such a waste No, of by time. the time
0: it came out it was winter. No,
2: I know, but I'm talking about like the movie and people going to say I'm like, it's such a waste of your time. <laughs> we had Moana at the
1: time. Why? Oh that's You know what I think is <laughs> I, I I think it's interesting actually. My sister went to go see Littlefoot that I had no idea already got to theaters already recently, and yeah. she said she really loved it. I don't know anything about it,
2: so
0: Norm of the North
1: uh, apparently Littlefoot is about, uh, abominable snowmen in the Alps, and,
2: um, oh, yeah, yeah. they
1: talk about the legends foot. of humans as, uh, little feet. so the way we talk about yetis, we small call them foot, Bigfoot, small foot, whenever they see small a human, they call them Littlefoot.
2: They're called Smallfoot, Smallfoot, not Littlefoot, small I guess, foot, small foot. I don't know, I haven't seen it, but. The, that movie actually supposedly got some fairly good reviews.
0: Oh my god, it's got 9% of Rotten Tomatoes.
2: Norm of the North, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can get it
1: anywhere except to rent. Oh,
2: okay, uh, I thought it was on Netflix for a while.
0: It's on Amazon Prime for ninety nine cents for rental. I'm
1: not. I'm not going to rent anything on Amazon Prime. Uh, that's
0: crazy. <laughs> Oh Hold my on. god! Oh my god! <laughs> Top voted tags for Norm of the North: cringeworthy, boring, awkward, forgettable, childish, corny, one-dimensional characters. Hold on. Okay, now I know
2: where I can watch it? Do you guys want the
0: website? Hold on! No, No! 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 Oh, no! 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 No, that's, that's right. we're not promoting. We're not not on the show, not on not while we're recording.
2: Okay,
0: hold on.
1: You're no longer recording.
0: No, I mean when we're recording, don't say those websites.
1: Oh yeah, like you're gonna go, you're gonna go to jail, Zach. What are you talking about?
2: Okay, there
0: you go. Oh gosh, dang it.
1: Um, uh I I just don't. To me, I don't really understand i I wouldn't say understand but i haven't seen enough of this to know whether the animation is too bad i'm hoping the content is what's crazy about this movie
0: i got to watch um chris stuckman's review on it again to see what exactly he didn't like about it
1: Everything.
0: <laughs> well that and
1: no 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 don't do that watch your watch it for yourself and decide for yourself don't let stuckman shape your shape your opinions
0: no no no, no. i mean i, I know but I'm, yeah, i just. Trying, I want to get a. I want to get a preview of what I'm getting before I do it.
1: Oh, it's a mess. I'm actually looking at the trailer right now, and I gotta say, it doesn't look awful. I mean, it it looks glossy and clean, but I would say the movements look terrible.
0: <laughs> this is gonna be an insufferable Weird, right? movie to watch.
1: These animals look creepy. The whale looks creepy. The seals look creepy. Like, yeah. I would say it's a lot like Boss Baby. The humans look like the Boss Baby humans.
0: That was nominated.
1: It's equal parts too real and too fake.
0: I'm just going to look at it. Oh, God.
1: Yeah, like, I, as, as I'm looking at it, these things, there's a sense of there's so much detail on these faces but they move in a really really inhuman way
0: so this is what food fight would have looked like if it were finished
1: maybe yeah maybe i i i can't really compare anything to food fight the content of food fight alone is insane <laughs>
0: Well, there you go, everybody. So next, oh god. Put it on, man, not me. <laughs> and
2: of course, now... We haven't done
0: a
1: kids' movie in a long time.
0: When's the last kids' movie that we did?
1: I think it was. Uh, I guess Never a New Story. Oh. Yeah. Actually, what time to think of it?
0: Oh. Well, like the one before that, like discounting Narnia, like the.
1: Um. I think it was
0: Food Fight. <laughs> that Wayne, I still, I still can't get it out of my head that Wayne Brady was in that movie.
1: I can't believe that Charlie Sheen was the lead of that movie.
0: That honestly, I, that's more believable than, to me that he's in that movie. Uh,
1: nowadays, yes. At the time it was recorded, he was like a big TV star.
0: Yeah, t- Two and a Half Men was doing fantastic. In the ratings.
1: Yeah. yeah it, was, it was making it was making him a lot of money.
0: Okay. <laughs> food fight. No, not food fight. Norm of the North. Sorry, we're not watching that again. Um. So yeah, uh, Norm of the North next week, <laughs> and then one more bad movie after that, and we get to start a new series. And then after that new series, Shyamalan.
2: Well, not just any Shyamalan.
0: Unbreakable, Split, Trillion. Glass.
2: Yeah. yeah. I
1: guess it kind of depends on the series. I don't really know. Look, I, Yeah, We've I guess. Had, it would okay. okay on the series. There's only like two series
2: that we'd we'd be able to hit that like would put us over the top, and we, it would only be about like one movie. Let's just take a three-week break
0: for for uh, just to put it in your heads, so you can start thinking about what we can replace it with. I'm going to read off the list of series. Okay. Okay, so the series as of right now Terminator. Okay. All of them. Okay. Salvation and Genesis.
2: Okay, you make that sound like it's, not, it's an issue for me.
1: It's an issue for me because I hate Salvation. I, I know a lot more people think Genesis uh, is a bad movie, too, but I hate McGee. I hate McGee, the director. I'm not a fan of McGee at all. Okay.
0: The DC Extended Universe, so Man of Steel on. Okay.
1: That I have a problem with. That um, one's going to be like a chore for me. Is,
0: I mean. Are so we going to put you in the warehouse again? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. No, no, no. I think that, that I,
1: <laughs> the thing about those movies, I think they're so bad that you can actually form classes around how not to make movies. Um, but at the same time, it's not like I, I, I do think that Zack Snyder has some bad ideological. I. Uh, ideology in those movies, but I also think he doesn't execute it well at all. So that's the bigger issue for me. Assuming,
2: Chris, uh, yeah. assuming we hit the DCEU, will that include Aquaman at the time of release? It'd
0: be timely, yeah. I guess we could. Okay. Uh, the Matrix.
2: Okay. All of them?
0: Just the movies, yeah. Not the Animatrix. Yeah, just that's the movies. Right. Okay, not Animatrix. Got it. Um, uh, Indiana Jones including the wink wink fourth one
2: you mean the one that doesn't exist
0: the one that doesn't <laughs> exist
1: the only way it doesn't exist is if they make one that absolutely retcons it but guys it, it exists like it I, exist. I hate when people say that like, it doesn't exist and I'm like no it exists just deal with it Some we're just playing along with the happened.
0: joke Alex just playing along with the joke
1: yes. I, make... I know, I know it's a joke, but at the same time, like, it, it, it it, could, like they're making another one. So hopefully, the next one they'll sort of retcon a lot of what that was. Like, I don't want any lebuff.
2: That that, uh, that movie does not exist. Right be in it.
0: Um, The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. All of them. All of them.
2: Not the extended edition.
0: The theatrical versions. The
2: extended versions, please no. Please no, I don't. <laughs> Please no, I don't
1: want to. I don't want to watch. The, Hobbit, the, the Hobbit, Hobbit movies are the extended versions.
0: Crossing my fingers for this one, Pirates of the Caribbean.
2: Okay, I mean the,
0: the last. Just for the first three. To- just for the first three, alone for the first okay, oh, three. We but we're doing do do all of them. Alone. We're doing all of them. But just for I the know. first three, I want to do it.
2: Chris. I'm gonna be honest, those last two are hard watches. Yeah, the last yeah. two
0: the last two suck. Um,
2: they're really hard watches. They're like as hard watches like last two Transformers movies. They're hard. I
0: liked the fifth one better than the fourth one. Yeah, but... Just for nostalgia, like, I guess.
2: Chris, Chris, it's like saying you like the fourth Transformers movie more than the fifth. I mean. like the
0: second one. You,
2: you like the second one for different reasons. Exactly. Yeah, um, there are distinctly things wrong with the last two parts of the Caribbean movies. Like the first three are great movies, they're just like boring after that. Okay, these next few I, are I great. Think the first one is genuinely a great movie. Well, no,
1: no, I, I think the second and third out. ones are. I, I think the second and third ones have really good to great things about them, but I don't think they're great movies. Like I think the third one. Uh, is probably my least favorite out of those first three Um, I do like the endings of them well I mean I I like the ending of the second one more than the third one Uh, but I do if there's one thing consistent about what Gore Verbinski does in his movies in general period is he kills his main bad guys in ways that are so just satisfying he kills the, the the death of the guy in the third one is so satisfying it's so great I love it
2: well, Alex, here's the thing about the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, above the other four, which is perfect is, and perfect in every way. It really is. It's like the perfect action movie. It's it's such a breath of fresh air to like the swashbuckling adventure genre, and just how it's portrayed, and how Johnny Depp portrays it, and how every actor just pulls their weight in gold. I mean, it's it's great.
1: They are I mean, it probably could, it probably would have been a better movie if someone other than Orlando Bloom was in there. Um, Even Orlando Bloom like nails the role he's in, though. Like, I, I don't know if he nails it. I know he fits it well. I think he yeah, fits it like a good shoe, but I don't know
2: if he never he necessarily nails it. Okay, I sure. Think, uh, so, so you have you have one actor who who was like probably didn't give it their their entirety, but like every other actor past that is just perfectly cast. I mean, no, I agree. I like I like Karen Knightley.
1: I like Barbosa. I like Johnny Depp. Uh, I like the I like that film. I think it's a great film. I think it's a classic. Yeah. Um, I but I also uh there's something I wouldn't say it's perfect. I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie. It's not it's not one that I have any like huge major problems with. It's just uh Orlando it's like Bloom a movie, man. Just he doesn't really You're like I don't know. I I think Alice, somebody trying else to is ask for issues. It's not them. like it's a huge necess- it's okay. necessarily a huge complaint. It's just something that I think um probably elevate the film more. You're,
2: like, trying to grasp for an issue in a movie that, like, has so few of them, though. Like, it's... I'm not grasping at an issue. It's just what
1: doesn't make it a perfect movie for me. And, like... And trust me, I don't think Orlando Bloom is, like, always a bad actor. I've seen him in things that I've enjoyed. Like, the... Like, I... I think he's perfect as Legolas. I think he's perfect as Legolas, no matter what. Even in the Hobbit movies, and he's shoved in there, I do think he's perfect as Legolas. I also think that his most people didn't ever see this, but there was an HBO documentary about a bike race that, uh, he is perfect in. He is overacting. He's a character. He's going crazy in it. I love it. He's great in it. Um, so he's capable of doing good stuff. I just think that, I just think he's there's something bland about him that would have been better if you got someone a little bit more charismatic and not necessarily handsome. um,
2: you know not a thing kind you of who's kind of you know, the, the new Orlando it's just Bloom? just that I think he... I
1: just think that there, could, there was probably somebody else who would have made that role a little bit more memorable for me because there are so many memorable things about that movie except the main character.
0: Anyway.
2: You know who's kind of like Orlando Bloom nowadays, though? Who's kind of become the new Orlando Bloom, though?
0: Sam Worthington.
2: No, Kit Harington.
0: Yeah. Anyway.
2: Anyways. No,
1: yes, I I, I would agree with that. Kate Harrington hasn't really done anything um, outside of Game of Thrones, which I do think he has grown into that character very well, but he hasn't really done anything that makes me think he could do more than just pout and um, look good. I never saw any of his, like, um, UK mi5 show um,
2: yeah
1: which, which had a bunch of uh, episodes so like people did
2: like it but okay. I never he, he was have... in like how to train your dragon <laughs> but like I don't know if like that that's worth anything to me He um and past that he like he's done a bunch of theater he still does a bunch of theater he's doing true west right now in theater which is kind of cool. Um,
1: he, did, he did a mockumentary for HBO himself, where he was uh, half of a tennis match. Uh, but again, he's playing the pouty, sensitive, quiet type in that movie. I, I, and I do think he's not bad in that role. I think he fits it very well, the sensitive type. But I just haven't seen him do anything for me to be like, oh, a he's got range, and b he's got something that makes me want to go see this movie. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Or show. Anyway, so
1: yeah, I would agree with your, I would agree with your take that he's like today's Orlando Bloom.
0: So, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. These next few are great. Fast and Furious.
2: Yeah. Heck yeah, that would take that would take a long time, and I have no problem with that. I I could live with or without that franchise.
0: You
1: don't know what it's capable of.
2: I don't care. How
1: <laughs> you don't because you don't know what it's capable of.
2: Alex, I've seen the first four. I just don't
1: care for it after that. Again, again, Zach, you don't know what it's capable of. Everyone knows that the first four are the weakest ones of that series. It's what it's doing now that's amazing. It's the last four that's amazing about that series. It's five through eight that people are like, oh, okay, all right.
0: Okay. Burton's Batman. So okay. the first... So the first uh, Michael Keaton Batman, all the way to Batman and Robin.
2: Good to bad.
0: <laughs> I hear there's a bunch <laughs> in a of hurry.
2: With the uh, with the spinoff Fast and Furious movie Hobbs and Shaw.
0: they the, uh, no, there's uh,
2: issues with nine. About, I haven't
1: heard any rumors about like how it's going on set or its production at all. I just I heard know the director,
2: the creators, like suing. David Le- Litch is like suing for like creative control or something.
1: Well, I, I have no idea uh, I have no idea how that's going down but I also don't know how much creative control Vin, Vin Diesel has and that's the main reason they're making the, that film in the first place is because Vin Diesel and The Rock do not want to work together anymore and it's because Vin Diesel is kind of a dick. Um, and that's the reason they're making it in the first place, so who knows? Like it does. I, I haven't seen anything about or any, anything uh, for, I haven't heard any rumors about his production being bad, but I also haven't heard or seen anything about the movie and its look now. All I know is that they just started shooting a little bit ago and they're going with it. But uh, I, I'm not necessarily interested in spin offs, I'm more interested in what they do in the movies. Like, no one expected them to go the routes in the entertaining way that they did. And that has everything to do with one director one director coming in and making the series what it was and him sticking with it for a while and then handing it off to people who could do great things with it like the last two movies weren't helmed by him but they are still really really good movies like eight is a solid solid movie and uh um the next one will be made by the guy who saved the series in the first place so i know you don't care about it now because you've only seen the movies that are the least interesting but like
2: once Justin Lin to get directed, and I think they're really going to start to enjoy what they're capable of. Nelson Lin directed two of the ones I've seen.
1: No, no, he did not. He's direct. Oh, well, no, no, yes, he has directed two, but they're also two of the weakest from a director who had never made the action. First of all, I don't think Tokyo Drift is a bad movie. I think it's helmed, not helmed, but led by a bad actor. It's well, basically yeah. the karate kid. And to be honest, the racing scenes are not bad. Four is terrible. And even he admits that because he said, I used way too much CGI in that movie, and I was too serious. And it wasn't until I got to five and I realized these aren't serious action movies. These are Ocean Eleven movies. And five is, the, in my opinion, the best of the series because he said, screw it. I'm making fun heist movies with fun characters and fun actors. No more somber. We're not doing somber anymore. And he doesn't. He, he does insane, insane action, and then that's what they become they become huge action uh, movies that are about practical effects. Like he drives a, a car, like Paul Walker and Vin Diesel drive a car off a cliff and then jump off it next to a train. And it looks amazing because people actually did it. And that's what you start to realize about the series, that they make them fun and entertaining as well as using practical effects to create insane moments. And then they got even more interesting. That, that's the thing, like, I understand why you feel the way you do, but you're ju- you just—you just haven't seen what's made this series amazing. Now, I, I don't think Justin Lin, uh, even he will admit more than anyone, like Tokyo Drift was a direct-to video movie eventually. He didn't have the budget that he was supposed to have. The series was dying. The fourth one, he had way too much money and he made it too serious. It wasn't till he got to the third one that he really understood what they were and he nailed it. Nailed it.
0: Burton's Batman. Okay. Good to bad in hurry. Michael Keaton to Batman Forever. Kay. No, not Batman Forever. Batman, Batman and Robin. Robin. Okay. One of
1: the most ridiculous movies ever made.
0: Rocky.
2: Including Creed.
0: Including Creed timely for Creed Two. And timely for Creed Two. Cross my fingers. Mission Impossible.
2: Okay. That w- that would be fun because now I have them all. Uh, available for me except for Fallout. Do you... Out of curiosity, do we want to spin for the series wheel now? No. And, like, deal with no, it? No, no, I, I'm no. fine with waiting two weeks now. Okay.
0: Um, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Not the amazing Spider-Man! Sam Raimi's no, 3. No, no, Sam Raimi's yeah, 3.
2: I mean, those movies are fantastic, so... Even the action of the third one is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Die Hard.
1: Good yeah. to bad. I can't wait for you to see the third one, though. The third one's great.
0: Evil Dead, asterisk, you guys review the first one. Since I, I, I do not like I horror.
1: I again recently. I really loved it. Yeah.
0: Since I do not That's like horror, that is for you two. I'll just sit back and... Mediate. And then
2: you're going to sit and enjoy the second and the third one? Yes. Well, yeah, he's going to hear us talk about it, so at least that way he'll know what Ash went through before he gets to the second
0: movie.
1: Okay.
0: Back to the Future.
1: Okay. Solid trilogy. Yes.
0: Rambo. Yes, yep. the fourth one.
1: Yeah, I'm At okay least a lot. Of, I haven't seen like three of those movies.
0: Which is timely because apparently they're in production for the fifth one.
1: Yeah, he wants he wants it to be a hit so that he can have Rambo fight a monster eventually.
0: <laughs> Daniel Craig's Bond. So, yep. um, shoot, Casino Royale to Spectre.
2: Yep, I haven't seen Spectre, so it's gonna be like a really fun adventure to go watch Spectre for the first time.
0: God, it's a mighty more
2: of the travelogue version of Bond. Rather
1: than Skyfall's adventurous uh, action movie vibe.
0: Skyfall, I, I love Skyfall.
2: Skyfall was fun. I remember Casino going to- Royale and Skyfall are amazing. Yeah,
0: Kung Fu. I- Good.
2: Oh, I was just gonna say I I love Skyfall too. I got to see it in college and it was great.
0: Kung Fu Panda.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah. X Men. Which would be
1: gonna be complicated, but we'll try and see as many as we can. Yep.
0: Which is timely because Dark Phoenix is coming out next summer.
1: Last one.
0: Last one. Um, and then lethal weapon. Yep. Not the show. Just the movies. That's fine. So keep that in mind when we're thinking about new series.
2: Is it crazy that like there's for Bond twenty five they're still planning on using Daniel Craig? No, I I don't think it's crazy
1: they're using Game Game of Thrones. Spectre didn't have the reaction that they wanted them to have, so I think they're trying to make... I think they're going to try and make a good conclusion and and another Skyfall, and I think they want to do something with the whole he's with a woman now uh, that is probably going to be mirroring something that happened to Bond in the old movies that people are expecting, and if they do it well enough, then I think it would be a good capper for um, the next Bond. Um, well, he, uh,
0: it's, dire- it's gonna be directed by the guy who did Beasts of No Nation. Is it, though? It is. Does it ha- does it actually have a director? Yep, Wait a minute, Joe who?
2: The guy who did Beasts of No Nation. He also Didn't wrote he do
0: I something else?
2: true detective and maniac that just came out. Yeah, he also wrote, uh, It and the Alienist... And some other stuff. I feel like
0: he did a movie that I'm not particularly fond of but I'm going to double check.
2: Not really. The only movie
1: that I know of him doing was Beast with No Nations. And that was
2: very good.
0: <laughs> Wait, what was his name again?
2: Keri Fuka... Funakaga. I think it's Keri Fukunaga. Yeah. Keri Fukunaga. He's an American director. That's actually kind of very interesting because don't they normally get British directors to do Bond films?
0: What did, has did he had done?
2: American to British to other ones? Yeah. Are you sure? I guess. Or it was always. I, I, I you know what? Sam Mendes, for example, is an American director. You know what? Sam Mendes is a British director.
0: Was he in line? Was he in line to do Flash? I'd
2: have to, I'd have to double check that, considering the guy made American Beauty.
0: Was he? Was he in line to do Flash?
2: Asian film director. He's British. He's okay. Born in Berkshire.
1: Hold on. Um, I Time out. Believe that they have, in fact, had American directors do it, and I think those have also been the most American of the movies. Um, but it isn't. It is a British franchise. They do try to make them British. But at the same time, it's more about who they think is most
2: appropriate. Obviously, yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Well, I think uh, I mean, now more than ever, like when Brosnan was happening, they wanted a, an interesting st- – I, I, I think it's so interesting that Martin Campbell is the one who brought uh, Bruce uh, – or brought Pierce Brosnan to the forefront with Goldeneye, but then he's also the one that did Casino Royale. Because I think Goldeneye is the most – Roger Moore, um, James Bondy of those Pierce Brosnan films, like the best of them, but then I also love Casino Royale because it's the most um, like James Bond's books.
0: Okay, okay. So okay, I'm hold on. Back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, back yeah. up. Was he in line to do the Flash movie? No. I have no idea who this guy is, but he sounds so okay, familiar. Now,
1: so you've never, first of all, you've never seen True Detective season one, correct? No. Okay, that's the most. Imp- that's like the most famous thing he's ever done. It was the most prominent M- McConaughey movie of his McConnaissance before Dallas Fire's Club came along. It's an amazing first season of television. It's visual. It is confusing, and it's an interesting procedural. But like, he gets an amazing performance out of McConaughey. Then he did Beast with No Nations with Ildris Elba, which is a re- really good movie, and everyone should go see it on Netflix. Uh, and then. He was supposed to do it. He got halfway through the production of it and its sequel before he left. He got halfway through the production of something else. And then he left. He got halfway through the production of a TV show. And then he left. And then he made Maniac, which just showed up on Netflix. Now it's a 10 episode series with uh, Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. It looks amazing. Oh, I've heard I'm of that. i not watching it yet. I'm saving it. Um, but my Sally
2: Field in, in it, too. I'm sorry? Sally Field in it, too.
1: There's a lot of people in it, um, and it, my my father and sister both watched it and really really loved it. So I'm gonna get to it eventually, and uh, yeah, the, the he's now set for this Bond movie. Right when Maniac came out, he announced that he was gonna be doing
2: Bond. I so see. it looks, Chris, uh, Alex. It looks like directing wise, it's always been someone from Britain or New Zealand. The only two outcasts was one German director and one Canadian-British-Columbia-slash-English slash, uh, slash English, uh, director, and then Carrie Fukunaga is the first American director to do a Bond film.
1: Interesting. I thought Sam Mendez was American, but I uh, guess he's not. But then on top of that, I like that outside of Germany, they've tried their best to stay within the monarchy.
0: So it's safe to assume that there's going to be way more drugs and sex and alcohol since it's an American director...
2: Well, this director, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be more uh, like crank that's that's
1: racist chris that's not um, racist. It's not uh, racist i would say it's probably gonna have the same visual uh <laughs> hopefully the same visual nature of skyfall which on top of skyfall being like a really good action movie i happen to think it's the most beautiful looking bond in a long time like, period cinematography
0: period has,
1: i hope that this has it too because fukunaga has a, a really good eye for making things beautiful um but then I also think he gets good performances out of actors, so I'd like to see what he gets out of Craig, and um, and his uh, I forgot Lea Soudou I believe Soudou, the French actress that showed up in uh, Spectre.
2: Leah uh, S- I'd
1: like to see him do something with both of them that are really great because they're both great actors.
2: Yeah.
0: Like, like I I could not agree more about that. Skyfall is the most beautiful looking Bond. Like, I haven't seen I haven't seen very many of the bonds. I saw Golden but like I can't imagine it getting much better than Skyfall in in the Bond series.
1: I think Casino Royale is probably the next one that looks uh, as good because it's very competently made. It's pretty beautiful. It it doesn't have the same composition as Skyfall, but it is uh, reserved and pulled back. And people could say that about Spectre. Spectre is a beautiful movie and made by. The same guy who did Skyfall. It's just it doesn't have the same pace and it doesn't have the same action. Um, Skyfall. Is, there's two different things about Bond. There's either action Bond, where the movie is all about uh, the action involved and the spectacle, of the set pieces, or it's about going places and seeing the world and not necessarily the mystery that he's getting into, but just the the ways that he wears clothes and carries himself and handles situations in different beautiful European cities. And they become travelogs. So Spectre is the travelog version of Bond, whereas Skyfall is the action version. Yeah, I just, I just interestingly enough think that the action version has more of a look and a beauty to it.
2: Also, Skyfall is literally just like the best Bond movie. Period. That helps too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's smart. I think it, it it has a lot of plot holes. It has a lot of problems with its story that don't make any sense. But uh, I do think that it flows pretty well. I think its themes are all about its, are very well connected to its character, and I think it's beautiful looking. But for me, um, having seen all the ones that I have, there's a couple. There's probably one Sean Connery one I think is great. There's certainly a, a Roger Moore one in there that I really loved. I don't remember what it was. But for me, it's it's between uh, Goldeneye and Casino Royale. Casino Royale might be the best Bond that's been made ever it might be the most close to who he is as a character the most uh interesting ending of all and it's it's just the, it's the most driven by character like that is a that's a more character driven bot not necessarily because it's an origin story in any way so much as it is just like about his growth from starting uh being a du below seven to the end of the film where he pretty much is the guy that he would become
0: and then he would show up in the rock <laughs> what Then he would show up in uh, Michael Bay's The Rock. What? No, the the Sean Connery Bond would show up in The Rock.
1: Oh, the Sean Connery one. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I think the Sean Connery ones are okay. I certainly think he is Bond, for sure. He's probably the best Bond that there's been. Um, But I also think those movies are, A, dated, and B, really um, misogynistic in a way that I... Sometimes can't really get past.
2: Let's Uh, just be clear here, guys. Sean Connery hates women. That's just (laughs) Uh, no. It's true. uh, I'm sorry. Did you say that again? Sean Connery hates women. It's it's a truth.
1: Oh yes. No, I I certainly think he doesn't respect them or see them as people. Uh, Certainly around that time, he may have changed his ways as he got older, but like uh, I doubt it. I certainly think around the time of Bond, he had a a sense of oh, these are playthings, just like the guns
0: aren't. Womack? Mac, you. To to to
2: quote to, to quote uh, Family Guy on this one, three knows means I yes. <laughs> That's his opinion about women and sex.
0: All right,
1: uh, so yeah, I don't think he changed that tone, especially with the prom prom queen line in the rock. But I do think that he. I do think he embodied the idea of who Bond was perfectly at the time that he oh, did, and absolutely. I don't
2: think anybody else had Absolutely. So. He is absolutely an embodiment of who James Bond is as a person. He just is terrible to women, and he just has terrible opinions about
0: them. So. Next week.
2: Agreed.
0: Next week. Norm of the North. One more bad movie after that, and then the series wheel. We are back. Back. And then after that, Zach's wet fever dream of unbreakable, split, glass.
1: It's not I just him. I re- I'm looking forward
2: to it, too.
0: Not yeah, as much I as Zach, though. Chris, Zach's I've... really putting over glass.
2: You will really enjoy that series.
0: I don't think I'll enjoy it as much as you. I don't think anybody could.
2: Uh, I I guarantee
1: you there are people who... I I think the problem with M. Night Shyamalan is the best way to go into his films is not knowing anything about them and the very fact that you know that Split is connected to Unbreakable kind of ruins the feeling of the end of Split a little bit like when I saw Split and then walked out of that theater my mind was blown I I could not believe that he pulled off what he did at the very 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 end of that movie Um, it was such a rug pull and I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if you're necessarily going to be able to feel that the way that we do, because you know that they're connected. But um, there's still a lot more that you don't know about this series, and there's certainly a lot that we don't know, considering that we've only just seen the trailer and don't know how things are going to unfold um, within the story. We have some idea, but like, not necessarily how things are going to end up.
2: Like I, um, my, The story of me going to see Split was actually really funny, because I had read about the movie quite a few times. You know, people were saying, it's pretty good, you should go see it. It's, like, this very strange, you know, little thriller. And I was like, I don't know if I believe it's, like, a thriller. So so a buddy of mine convinced me to go see it, and I ended up going to see it at the the theater uh, in Plymouth, over in downtown Plymouth. And we went and saw it. Um, And when I walked out of that movie... And I, and I realized that it was part of Unbreakable, just like Alex said, I walked out, my mind just popped. I didn't even, I I just couldn't conceive the idea that that those two movies were connected. And, you know, the joke is there's always, you know, a, 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 a twist at the end of an M. Night Shyamalan movie. But I'm telling you, man, dude, that twist, like, my mind was like I,
1: See, I, I apparently there there was stories that he had already talked about okay the split character in interviews before and what he wanted to do and it's not so much that when i walked out i was like i don't i couldn't conceive how these movies were connected actually i walked out of split knowing that understanding that connection actually made split make more sense i started to understand the rules way more and i was like oh man so like okay i get it now like now I see how these things fit, how this character works, like how how this kind of idea fits together in terms of the uh, the rules of what he was doing. And it made a lot more sense actually when I watched that. I was like, it's great that they're connected, but the fact that that connection bred more of an understanding about the film that I just watched is why I love Split more uh, than I like Unbreakable. Unbreakable is a really good movie with a pretty solid um ending, I think, but um, once I walked out a split and, and saw, I mean to, to have a twist that's a connection to something else is fine, but to have a twist that through that connection makes something more um,
0: comprehensible
1: that's just good storytelling
2: yes
0: We're. Go- I'm gonna see it like okay I'm gonna see it, because we're doing it for I, the show, I, I'm going no, to I see it find-
1: Sit here and be like, because you'll do that sometimes. You'll sit here and you'll be like, I, Guys, I did I'll see it. Like, yeah, I mean, everyone loves
0: Pulp Fiction. Everyone loves this. I'll see it. We're like, gonna see it. You know, you know, going to see it. I'm going to see it.
1: Like, I
0: will see it. There's no reason to sell. I'm going to see it. Okay.
1: I think. It just sounds like you're you're making it sound like it's a chore, and we're pushing you to see it. The thing is, we're just, we're just geeking out about it right now. I like, know. Honestly, they're just solid movies that have gotten better um, through the execution of apparently this idea that's been sitting in his head for years. It's not like Lady in the Water, where he just made up the story in front of his kids and then never changed it. Like, he's been spending the years building this and working on it, and then when he got the opportunity to make Split, he was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. You know what? Screw it. Like, screw everyone. Like, I'm just going to do it. And he does it, and it's great.
2: Yes.
0: Okay. So next week. Norman and north. We're here in the now. We have to do it. The wheel is dictated, thing. The wheel has dictated that we do, Norma the north.
2: <laughs> Whoever put that on that list needs to like. I think
0: it was start. you. I think it was you. It, it was you. It was you. actually it was you because I would not have been crazy enough to do it. Ugh.
1: No, you put surf stuff on the good wheels, so no. I think it was Zach. It's like, I, I couldn't
0: think of I couldn't think of a bad enough movie to I couldn't think of bad enough movies to put on there So I mostly left it to you two So it was one of you And considering Alex has never seen or probably heard of Norm of the North, I assume it's Zack
1: I've heard of it, I've just never seen
0: it Okay, then it was Zach.
2: Ugh so, Why uh, did I do that? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> made Horrible mistakes
0: well, you probably hate me more than you hate yourself, so. Oh, no, I hate myself
2: immensely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 well, you're not alone. Um, so, yeah, Norm of the North. Uh, winter cap's on, because it's uh, going to snow any minute now. So, yeah. Oh,
1: sucks.
0: Yeah. So, Norm of the North. So, all right. Later, guys. Peace. Say goodbye, everyone.